Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you. Good morning. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Great. Hi, Lori. Hi, Brian. Hi, Chris. Shalom, Stephen. Shabbat shalom. Good morning to you. Top of the morning to you there, Ipa and Corey. I know you're not supposed to say that to anybody in Ireland, but... Uh, Good morning, Lynn. How are you? Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Olise. Hi, Murray. Good to see you. Good morning, Dave. Glad you're here, brother. Hi, Sherry. Good morning, Dr. P. Hi, Catherine. Good morning. Hi, Walter. Hi, Virginia. Good to see you guys are here. Shabbat Shalom, Dr. Pigeon. Shabbat Shalom, Olise. How are you? Good on yourself, Shalom. Good, good. All right. Keep gathering here. Yeah, it's um, it's another interesting day in paradise, huh? Another interesting day in Yah's world, and uh, I find things uh, very interesting anyway. The way things are going. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jennifer. Blessings to you. Shabbat shalom. Good morning. Hi, Judy. I just want to say hi, Stephen. I just got my audio on. If you said hello earlier, couldn't hear you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good morning, Dave. Glad you're here, brother. I thought hey, it was a good little, good little motto for Sabbath. It's Sabbath. Just give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, what a great phrase. What a great phrase. Give it a rest. Yeah, yeah, give it a rest. Good morning to you, Vern. How are you, brother? Yeah. I'm good. And you? All right. Well, I'm all right. You know, this, uh, it's been a very interesting week, you know, since launching uh, Radio Free Alaska, you know, that uh, is definitely kind of putting a flex on me, if you will. But, you know, it's good and uh, gives us a chance to kind of air out. I'll put it to this way. It gives me a chance to kind of cover the corners, you know, because a lot of times when we get into focused teaching or focused ideas, uh we can get a little myopic and uh, I think it's important to be able to expand the boundaries a little bit, to be able to talk a little bit more about other ideas and all, of course, you know, it's a very, one of the very interesting things about scripture and about the Torah in particular. Hi, Mark. How about shalom to you, brother? One of the very interesting things about scripture is that we have a, uh, there, you know, the prohibitions that exist in the Torah stem from this idea of negativist law, thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not. And when you compare that to thou shalt, it's two different words because thou shalt is positivist law and has an unreaching, an unlimited reach. You shall be a good person. What does that mean, right? Well, for one, it becomes subjective. I, I'm going to be the one that determines what is good. And all of your behavior is subject to that analysis. 
when you compare it to the prohibition, thou shalt not, negativist law, thou shalt not do this. Well, what's that mean? That thing you can't do. Everything else you have liberty to do. So you see this immediately in the garden with Yah telling Adam and Eve, do whatever you want here. You know, be stewards over the earth. The only thou shalt not is thou shalt not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? That was the only thou shalt not. So you see the beginning of negativist law. And so as a consequence, we do have a responsibility to understand the world that is beyond the prohibitions of scripture. We have a responsibility to look out and see everything else that is there and give an evaluation to it. In other words, you can't uh, hide yourself from the machinations of the world. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. And if you, if you say, well, the only world that I admit even exists is the world inside of scripture, you're going to be a dysfunctional person. You're not going to know how to deal with the real world. And we're not people who run away from the real world. That isn't who we are. We're people who live in the real world. And in living in the real world, we look and see, and then we adjust those things in our life in order to comport with the tenets of Scripture. Now, today, thankfully, I've introduced a second screen to my little studio here where I do this particular uh, recording. And uh, the second screen is large, so I can read the Torah portion from it. <laughs> so we're going to be able to share a screen when we go through the Torah portion today. And so it should be fun. So one of the things that we see and that I, I kind of want to bring out is that... Uh, you know, what is critically important to us is being children of the name, being children of the name. And before we get into the Torah portion, um, I kind of wanted to emphasize that. And the, um, I want to see if I can find this passage. There is a um, particular scripture passage that I want I want to share with you. And uh, yeah, here it is, let's see. Yeah, it's from Malachi. And let me see if I can, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read it to you, okay. The, um, when we talk about these things, you're gonna see that one of the curious aspects of the Sefer community has to do with the name, right? It has to do with the name. So here is a passage from Malachi or Malachi, chapter 2. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Now, remember, we're commanded to be priests and kings, right? If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, says Yahweh, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. 
Yea, I have cursed them already because ye do not lay it to heart. Well, this becomes something really quite critical for us all because when we look at this now, we need to see that to Yah, understanding his name is extremely important. It's extremely important. He wants us to be there and to give glory unto the name Yahweh Sebaot. Remember that the things in our life that occur, whether they be the good things or the bad things, they're all in the hands of Yah. And sometimes, you know, people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, life happens to everyone. It has its ups, it has its downs. There's times you're going along and everything is perfect. But I was reading somewhere, I forget where I was reading it. It's an ancient passage by an old writer. That one of the great uh, mysteries of life is that it's easy to say my life should all be about seeking pleasure. You know, I want to be on the couch, eating chips, watching TV. But this is not the life that God called us to. Life called us to a life of challenges. He called us to other things. You know, that kind of uh, living in comfort is only one condition, mankind. That's only one condition. There's many other conditions, many other conditions. And we're called to those conditions. We're called to accept challenges. We're called to push ourselves. We're called to seek after strength. We're called to seek after health and to do those kinds of things. We're called to all those kinds of things. And it is encompassed upon us to do that, right? Now, let's continue with Malachi. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your face, even the dung of your solemn feasts. And one shall take you away with it. You're going out with the trash. Right? You're going out with the trash, and ye shall know that I have sent at this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, says Yahweh Sebaot. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The Torah of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should guard knowledge, and they should seek the Torah at his mouth. For he is the messenger of Yahweh Sebaot. Okay. So this gives us some kind of an idea about where our calling is. This is dedicated, of course, to the Levi, to the Levite. But we are called to be priests and kings in his kingdom. And that means we have a responsibility to give glory to the name. Yahweh Sebaot. Okay, so... 
Yeah, hallelujah. Hi, James. Hi, Mary Isabel. Good to see you guys. Shabbat Shalom. And, you know, and this is why this is why we become a curious people. And as a curious people, if if once you know the name of Yahweh and you allow yourself to backslide back into Lord God, and you leave the name Yahusha for the name Jesus, you know, you you begin to walk again in the covenant of Constantine, who embraced witchcraft in his formula. You begin to walk in the covenant of the popes who mixed a hodgepodge of, you know, Dagon worship, Baal worship, Ishtar worship, pagan practices. All of these were merged into what I no longer call Christianity, but what I call churchianity, churchianity. And the churchianity formula begins to rise again in your life rather than the Torah. And instead of being a person of the Torah, you become a religious person. And in becoming a religious person, you fall away from the commands of Yah, right? Because this is his commandment, that you guard knowledge, seek the Torah, that you speak without iniquity, that the Torah be in your mouth, that you walk with Yah in peace, and equity, peace and equity. Now, you know, equity is a very interesting word because it's it's a word similar to the word justice. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what does Yah require of thee? Should you bring rivers of oil? Should you sacrifice your own flesh for your deeds of iniquity? questions that Micah asks. No, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does Yah require of thee? But to love mercy, to act justly, to act with equity, and to walk humbly with Yah. And then Mashiach says to us, Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened. And I will give rest to your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And I will bring rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Yahusha saying he is gentle and humble of heart gentle and humble of heart. So we can kind of see a formula here if you're talking about the path of righteousness. You can kind of see a formula here that's pretty clear. To be gentle, to be humble, to love mercy, to act with equity, to leave iniquity, to have the Torah on your lips, to glorify the name of Yahweh Sivuot and to walk in peace and equity. And under those circumstances, he will provide such things to you. We want justice in our own life, don't you? You know, when you're a child, you hear your kids always say to you, that's not fair. And as a parent, you always say back to your kids, life isn't fair, kid, get used to it, figure it out, right? 
But somehow children have this intrinsic sense of equity. It's in their heart. They can see it. That's not fair. I did this, I did that, and the other thing, and, that, and now I'm not being properly rewarded, and instead I'm being improperly punished for something that is inequitable in their eyes. And I guess I suppose as parents, and for many of us grandparents, we should take the time when a child says that to say something more than, look, life's not fair, kid, figure it out but rather to have a discussion about what is equity. What is the acting in equity in our lives, one to another? That becomes a big question because for instance, when you're doing a project with another person or somebody is helping you do a project, what's equitable? You know, you sit down and oftentimes you'll see this, you know, a contractor comes over and says, well, I'm gonna give you a bid for the." to do this job here. And then they come in and do an absolute poor job and they bring in supplies that are super cheap. And instead of putting in the proper stuff, they put in, you know, the absolute, you know, ratty stuff you can imagine, do a rotten job, wreck your house, urinate in the garden, you know, these kinds of things. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, you know, what's equitable at that point? What's equitable? Mm -hmm. And I talked to some people that uh, they had prepaid a painter 1500 bucks to pay, paint the outside of their house. This was 25 years ago. They painted, they paid him 1500 bucks to paint the outside of his house. Well, the guy got, he didn't know how to use a sprayer. And, you know, he, so he, he had paint all over the windows. He had paint all over the, the, uh, the vegetation, you know, the plants. And the guy was urinating in the yard while he was working. You know, it was like, Hey, you know, this is, that ain't right. That ain't right. You know, anyway, and then he walked off the job when the job was half done. So anyway, the fellow was, shall we say, upset. But yeah, yeah, here uh, somebody says, fair is a place where, I think that's Eva, fair is a place where you eat cotton candy. That, that's, what, that's what she was told, fair, right? But I think when we talk about when we talk about equity, I think there is something to explain to a child what is equity. I think there is something to explain there. And so I think of all of us, it's something to consider. Okay. Anyway, I wanted to share that passage with you that was given to me last night, the middle of the night. Okay. Right. And then he when he goes on to say, but ye are departed out of the way. And because you are departed out of the way, you have caused many to stumble at the Torah. You have corrupted the covenant. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not guarded my ways, but have been partial in the Torah. Well, here we go again. And then we see this partiality in America now, really, I mean, it's unavoidable. There are certain people in America that are above the law. And there are certain people in America, most of us, who are below the law. We're not under the law, we're below the law. There are people who are above the law and there are others who are below the law. So you have a class of people who can commit any crime they so desire. 
whether it be murder, whether it's treason, whether it's espionage, whether it's bribery, whether it's money laundering, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's child sacrifice, it makes no difference. There is no law enforcement that's going to touch them for any reason. Because the, the legal system in the United States has become partial. It's not impartial. It's partial. And Yah says that because you have become partial, you are made contemptible and base before people. And I can tell you that this contemptibility now, particularly for America, is rising like you would not believe. I mean, the discussion that's going on in South America right now is we need to get completely away from the, do the dollar because the Americans cheat with the dollar. We're held to a high standard of you borrowed this amount of money, here's the high interest rate, you owe that. But when it comes to them, they just print more money and pay it off. And they're printing money that we use in order to start a war in our country. And so as a consequence, people are abandoning nations around the earth are abandoning the dollar because we have become contemptible and base in their sight. Now, this is an unavoidable consequence. This is what Yad tells you is the truth of the matter. It's an unavoidable consequence. It's not like, gee, let's go back into Malachi and rewrite it so that this law disappears. You can do that if you want. The law isn't going to disappear. The truth of reality is going to be present with you. And because it's present with you, these are the things that are going to happen. Malachi further writes, have we not all one father? Has not one L created us? Why do we deal treacherously? Every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers. Well, again, this is what is the covenant of our fathers. What was the covenant that Yahusha renewed at the Last Supper? Right? He said, Brit Badami. This is the renewed covenant in my blood. What was the covenant he was renewing? Who gave the covenant? Who gave the covenant at Mount Horeb? Who wrote the 10 Devarim with his finger? Now, if you want to say that there was one God in the Old Testament, and that's completely different than that which appears in the New Testament, then you join the Marcion heresy of the second century. But I can tell you, if you join that heresy, you discover that there is no Messiah. Because if you're going to divorce yourself from the Old Testament, then no fair looking at Isaiah 53 to protect, to predict the deity of the coming Messiah. No fair looking at Psalm 80, uh, Psalm 22. No, can't do that. No fair looking at Deuteronomy 32 that predicts the coming prophet. No fair looking at four Esdras that predicts this coming. No fair looking at the minor prophets. 
No fair reading any of that stuff. That stuff is all out. That was an old ancient war god that belonged to ancient Israel and has nothing to do with Jesus. If that's your view, well, one thing, you're in the wrong place being here. That's, that's a certainty. But you have to take your Bible and just get rid of the Old Testament. Just cut it off, throw it out. And then you can, and then you need to go through your New Testament meticulously and eliminate all of those verses that cite to the Old Testament. We have all of those citations inset in the Sefer Millennium edition. So when you read the New Testament in the Sefer Millennium, you'll see that all the references to the Old Testament are inset. And so when you read the book of Hebrews, you read the book of Romans, you're going to be reading going, wow, look at how much references the Old Testament. And of course, the book of Revelation, every single verse has an Old Testament reference. Every single verse. So as a consequence, the faith is inseparable from what happened at Mount Horeb what happens today. The faith is inseparable from what takes place in the Torah portion today. Moshe is talking to Pharaoh and to how this relates to our life. I mean, I'm going to argue today as we look at the Torah portion that the curse that comes upon Egypt, the curse of the death of the firstborn, is a curse that's with us even today. Because Egypt is with us even today. You know, it doesn't say in the Torah portion that Egypt is going to be crushed and then destroyed and you'll never hear of Egypt again. It does say that about other kingdoms. But it doesn't say that about Egypt. It says, my people are going to come out of her and they're going to spoil her. But that doesn't mean Egypt goes away. And in fact, Egypt did not go away. Egypt continued. And the faith of Egypt, the religion of Egypt, the occultism of Egypt, all continued. It never stopped. So when we see the idea of Isis, Horus, Seth, which is expressed, which is the Egyptian trinity that arose out of both Egyptian and Babylonian and Sumerian mythology, whether you're talking about Ishtar, Nimrod, Tammuz, Isis, Horus, Seth, doesn't make any difference which one you want to put in the, in the mix. When you put those in there, you're going to discover that that ideology is an ancient ideology that arises out of Rome, excuse me, arises out of Egypt. And this arising out of Egypt, this idea of worshiping the mother with infant. You know, we were in, um, we were in Israel. We went to ancient Ashkelon. And in Ashkelon, something fascinating had happened just a few years before. They were trying to clear out a beach. And as they tried to clear out a beach, they started clearing away this sand dune. 
And as they cleared away the sand dune, they found, oh, look, this is an ancient wall. And they began to dig out this sand dune. And as they dug out the sand dune, they found the ancient wall of Ashkelon. And of course, this wall was nothing more than piled rocks, right? But they found this, this group of piled rocks. And they also found the place where they used to sacrifice infants to Molech, the same location. And they found the gate of Ashkelon. So, the, so as this excavation continued, they went through and they found an old Roman. I think it had to be a Roman because, no, it might have been a Greek. But they had found like an Acropolis that was uh, there in Ashkelon. And this Acropolis, of course, had marble columns. And it also had statuary. Now, the statuary preceded Mashiach by more than 200 years. It's the statuary that was down there in Ashkelon. And one of the statues was the woman with infant. The woman with infant. Now, this woman with infant, you often see it in the Eastern Orthodox churches, Madonna with child, right? This concept, that worship ideology, is Babylonian, it's Sumerian, and it is Egyptian. When I believe it was Tertullian, might have been Origen, I think it might have been Origen, that came up with the idea of God in three persons in the third century AD. There was no belief in God in three persons prior to that concept. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. No. There was no concept of God in three persons prior to Origen's understanding. And so he and he was late to the game. So the faith had been practiced for a couple of centuries before somebody introduced the idea of a trinity of three persons. Huh? Interesting. But the IHS of Egypt continues nonetheless, and it continues in the hands of the Jesuits, and it continues in the hands of the elite Catholic leadership, particularly of the Knights of Malta, who are the power force behind both the Jesuit leadership and the Vatican leadership. So we see that when you go to the Vatican, what do, what do you expect to find? Do you expect to find, I mean, for me, if I was somebody who just read scripture and I had never had any interface with the world, and I was going to go to the center of learning concerning scripture, I would not be expecting to see any statues. I wouldn't even be expecting to see a building. I would be expecting to see something that reflected the worship of the people and nothing more. Because when Mashiach says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, does he call us to put up a large edifice? Why don't you build me a temple here? It's got two large spires and a ceiling that's inexhaustible with stained glass windows and a huge altar and leave a big spot for the worship team. Uh, no, that's not in scripture anywhere. 
not anywhere. But instead, we're called to an extremely simple faith. No markings, no bling, no cuts, no bruises, no hits, no errors, no barbed wire, no crown of thorns around us, no special clothing. It's all inside of you. Because we are the temple. We are the temple, not a building. So with that being said, you can see that Egypt is still with us. Now you might ask yourself, how can we tell Egypt? Well, one way you can tell Egypt, if you're still under Egyptian jurisdiction, look in your political community and see if you can find an obelisk. Has an obelisk been erected in your political jurisdiction? That's the question. If it has, then you're still in Egypt. Then you're still under Egyptian jurisdiction. And if you're under Egyptian jurisdiction, then you can expect that the curse that comes upon Egypt, which is the death of the firstborn, is still with you. Now, people don't want to hear this, but I can tell you, this, of the 70 million children that have been aborted in the United States since Roe versus Wade, the vast majority of them would have been the firstborn. So with that, let's read the Torah portion. And with that, let's don't do that. With that, let's open with prayer. And then we can read the Torah portion. Okay. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. We thank you uh, today for this Shabbat meeting. Thank you for bringing us together as a family. We pray that our words would be edifying to you, that the Torah would be on our lips, and that we would walk in peace and equity. Be with us today in spirit and truth, God. Amen. Okay. So today, I have discovered, hey, well, look, we can put the Torah portion up and share it. So I've gone to the Sefer website, sefer.net, in case you guys don't know of this facility. We go to resources, and resources you can see that we have the Torah portion, daily prayers, of my blog, videos that we have done, the mobile app blog, the Italian blog. Yeah, we have a blog in Italian for those who are Italian speakers articles that have been written, Sefer Radio, Sefer Academy and free downloads. Now, if you go to Sefer Radio, let me show you guys this. If you go to Sefer Radio, and you come into Sefer Radio, let's see if we can get this website here to function. When you get into Sefer Radio, you'll see here that you look down here, and you can see that all of these are podcast areas. So if you're a person who listens to podcasts, you can use your favorite podcast area. And then if you click on that podcast source, it will take you over here to recordings that are available from Sefer Radio. Okay. And these are podcasts that you can, uh, what are you talking about? It doesn't have any content. Of course it does. Oh, it's still loading. 
Okay, so here you go. So when you look at Sefer Radio, now take a look at this and you'll see, here is our Sabbath meeting from last Saturday. Okay. And so we have it. Here's the audio from the dig. Uh, the Sabbath from January 7th, the dig, the orthodoxy, the Essenes. These are all in podcast format. So you can listen to the audio. And you can see that the list goes back quite a ways. Back, I think all of our Sabbath meetings are contained here. So if you want to go back and listen to those, you can. And then we have audio portions from um, various videos here as well. But this is what is on podcast format. So for those of you that, uh, that want to see that. Now, in addition, if we look here at, uh, at the videos, so if we go into the video group, this is for, for those of you who know that we have experienced uh, a great deal of um, censorship. And uh, hold on just a second. I think we have, there we go. And, but when, if you look here on this screen, you'll see that we take all of the videos that we make and they're here. Now, these are not embedded videos. In other words, when you click on this, it won't take you to YouTube. These videos, the whole video is lodged here on our servers privately. And so you can see that all of the dig is there. And then we go back to some of the prior videos here. And so this is a resource that if you want to go back and double check and see some of the things we've talked about in the past, you can find these videos here. Now, this doesn't include all of the um, videos that I did with Jessica Arianes. Although I think in the podcast, you can get like this video here, the knowledge of good and evil, this one was censored by YouTube. It's been kicked off. Um, show you another video. This one here, 9-11, the prophecy of the coming affliction. This got kicked off. And the darkness of disbelief got kicked off YouTube. So those are here. They're, they are resident here on the Sefer website. And then, of course, when you look at the... Um, when you look at the blogs, for those of you who are interested in a discussion, you may say, well, what did Dr. P say about this? Well, we have uh, a great litany of discussion points here on the blog. And so this goes, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. There is, um, there are 400 blogs that are uh, written here. And we discuss a great many things in these blogs, okay? So if you're looking for, a, if you have a question, you say, well, what did he say about this? You might be able to find the answer here by taking a look at the blogs. And it, I, I suppose it'd be nicer if I had longer titles that were better descriptions 
but you know we can only we can only do what we can do here okay so you can see there's plenty of stuff written here okay now let's go back to the torah portion sorry dr Ma, can i just say something about the blogs yeah sure uh, the blogs are excellent. I love them. I, I, you know, it's such a great uh, part. Uh, well, uh, sort of, you can research quite a bit there. Um, so on the phone app, one just has to scroll all the way to the bottom of all the blogs to find the search engine. So what's nice about the search engine is if you're looking for a certain topic, it'll put out all the blogs which you've mentioned that topic in or uh, written about it. So um, it'll give you maybe six blogs for a certain topic. So then you can go through those blogs and see what has been said and written there, which is awesome. I just wanted to say that in the, in the phone app, you've got to go right down to the bottom of all the blogs to find that search engine. It's not on the side as it is on, on, the, uh, on the, the PC version. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. And I've always, you know, there's been times I've been looking for that search engine and can't find it, <laughs> you know, but it has to fit on the phone, you know, and so that's one of the accommodations we have to make. But yeah, that there is a search engine and it does allow you to do that kind of thing. And in the Torah portion, you can see here that we have the Torah portions up as they appear during the year. Okay. And then when you click into a Torah portion, now not all of them, but Right now, we still have recordings that I have made of the Torah portion. <laughs> I've got to get back into my studio and finish up recording the Torah portion. But even today's Torah portion, which is Bo, has a recording right here. So if you have this on your phone, or and if, if that's how you listen, if you listen while you're driving or if you listen in the morning, you can just you can click open the Torah portion, and there's the audio track of it right here. Okay. So you can listen to it. But I put it up on the screen here for us today so that we can see. And we can see the whole of the Torah portion here. And plus, I can read it very easily from the screen. So with that, let's begin with the Torah portion here, beginning in the book of Shemot or Exodus, chapter 10. And Yahweh said unto El Moshe, go in unto Pharaoh. For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And that you may tell in the ears of your son and your son's son, at what things I have wrought in Mitzrayim, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know how that I am Yahweh. And Moshe and Aharon came unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus says Yahweh Elohai of Ibrim, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into your coast. And they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the remnant of that which is escaped, which remains unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which grows for you out of the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all Mitzrayim which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have ever seen since the day they were upon the earth unto this day. Okay, so this is a locust holocaust, unprecedented, unprecedented. And he turned himself and he went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, how long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go 
that they may serve Yahweh Elohim. You know not that yet that Mitzrayim is destroyed? This is the question that should be asked of a certain somebody in Ukraine. Don't you understand that the place is destroyed? And Moshe and Aaron were brought again into Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go serve Yahweh Elohim. But who are they that shall go? And Moshe said, We will go with our young and with our old and our sons and with our daughters and with our flocks and with our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast unto Yahweh. And he said unto them, Let Yahweh be so with you, as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, ye that are men, and serve Yahweh, for that ye did desire. And they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. Now, one thing that I want to point out here that I think is interesting about this passage is that, is that, you know, it's very interesting that Yah would send in 70 people and would take out 2 million people, right? And this is something, this is a promise for us as we look into the second Exodus. You know, when, he, when he's talking about how he's going to pull out people, the remnant that were dispersed throughout the earth were a small number. But if you take that same multiplying factor, look at how many people are going to come out. It's going to be potentially in, in the hundreds of millions. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, stretch out your hand over the land of Mitzrayim for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Mitzrayim and eat every herb of the land, and even all the hail has left. And Moshe stretched forth his rod over the land of Mitzrayim, and Yahweh brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Mitzrayim and rested in all the coasts of Mitzrayim. Very grievous were they. Before them, there were no such locusts as they. Neither after them shall there be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. There remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field throughout all the land of Mitzrayim. Now, this is huge. I mean, here goes the whole crop, all of it. Then Pharaoh called for Moshe and Aharon in haste and said, hey, uh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess I've sinned against Yahweh Elohim. His advisors told him, can't you figure this out, boss? What part of this can't you get? Open your eyes and look. The whole place is destroyed. Let these people go. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Now he says, I have sinned against Yahweh Elohim and against you. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray you, my sin only this one time. Don't forgive my other sins, just this one. And entreat Yahweh Elohim like the seven other times I've asked you to do, that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated Yahweh. And Yahweh turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away all the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. 
and there remained not one locust in all the coast of Mitzrayim. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Yasharel go. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, stretch out your hand toward the heavens that there may be darkness over the land of Mitzrayim, even darkness which may be felt. And Moshe stretched forth his hand toward the heavens and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Mitzrayim for three days. Now, this is a very, very interesting a situation that has happened here. Now, some people say that this was consistent with the destroyer coming through, you know, a giant planet, which completely blocked out the sun for three days, that the earth was in total eclipse for three days from the sun. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Yasharel had light in their dwellings. Well, that's interesting. It sounds more miraculous than just a mere planet, doesn't it? And Pharaoh called upon Moshe and said, go, serve Yahweh. But let your flocks and your herds stay here. And let your little ones also go with you. But the flocks and herds, now this is what happened in 1492 under the Alhambra decree that was executed by Ferdinand and Isabella. You Jews, get out of the country. We're kicking you out. You can't stay here anymore. Ah, uh, but no taking any of your gold and silver with you. That stays here. Your money stays here. You go, but your money stays here, right? And Moshe Dr. said- Dr. Yes. Excuse me, Dr. Pigeon. I'm so sorry to interrupt sorry. you. Um, uh, Jessica's uh, waiting Jessica to get in. And I think there's a few other people also waiting. Okay. Normally, I would see these things. Thank you. Forgive Thank me for interrupting. And normally I get uh, notice of that, but I'm, I'm not getting it under the share. I don't know why. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're back. Let's see. All right. And Moshe said, you must give us also sacrifices and ascending smoke offerings that we may sacrifice unto Yahweh Elohenu. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not be a hoof left behind. For therefore we must take to serve Yahweh Elohenu, and we know not with what we must serve Yahweh until we come thither. thither. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said unto him, Get you from me and take heed to yourself. You will see my face no more. For in that day you see my face, you shall die. And Moshe said unto him, You've spoken well. I will see your face again no more. Very important, very critical issue that's happened here. Because Pharaoh now, rather than Pharaoh, rather than do what was necessary to do what Yah had commanded him to do, instead he keeps escalating even unto death. He keeps escalating. 
well, let's do this, let's do that. Because, you know, he's like um, Tom Petty. Well, I don't back down. Well, good for you. You don't back down. Not backing down is a great way to die in an alley fight, by the way. And Pharaoh's not going to back down no matter what plagues come upon Mitzrayim. Pharaoh's not backing down. And furthermore, Moshe, don't you come in here again and ask to go out and serve Yahweh Elohim. Because if you walk in this door again and ask me, I'm, and I see your face, I'm going to kill you. And is Moshe intimidated by that? No, why not? Because he knows that Yah is going to act. Because the battle belongs to Yah. And that Yah will act with supernatural authority and will act not just in a spiritual way, but in a physical way on the earth to affect the purpose of Yah. And the purpose here was not to punish Yasharel by placing their, them in slavery in Mitzrayim, but to teach Egypt the name of Yahweh. To teach Egypt the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Mitzrayim. And afterward, he will let you go. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And Yahweh gave people, the people, favor in the sight of the Mitzrayim. Now, when you look at this, you say, well, what is Yah doing? He's encouraging the house of Yasharel to steal all the gold and silver of Egypt? No. What Yah is doing here is recompense because the Egyptians were able to wear the jewelry and the gold and silver because of the exploitation of the house of Yasharel as slaves. Remember that there wouldn't have been an Egyptian empire had not Joseph stored up seven years of wheat that he was able to trade for all of the wealth of the world. All of the wealth of the world came into Egypt during that seven-year famine because they had not prepared for a seven-year famine and Joseph had. Joseph had sequestered extra wheat every year in the years of plenty that he would have a sufficient amount of grain to feed the whole world for the seven years of famine. And in doing that, he required equity from those who had failed to store wheat. And the equity was initially, give us all your money to buy our grain. Then it became, give us your land to acquire grain. Then it became the territory of Egypt. And the territory of Egypt was then over the whole of the world that had experienced the famine. It wasn't just the Nile River, like you see in the geographic books. 
you know, the old history books that we used to get in school. It wasn't just the Nile River. Egypt controlled all of the Mediterranean and probably all of the British Isles. Had rights over the land. And they had acquired all the wealth. And even though Yosef had brought in all this wealth into Egypt, the pharaoh, which uh, John Barr and I talked about on the, uh, we were talking about this on the dig, this woman pharaoh, when she had died, she was last in the proper bloodline of the pharaohs, and the usurpers began to take the throne. And when the usurpers began to take the throne, they didn't remember Joseph. And although they didn't remember Joseph, they did remember the bloodline of the pharaohs. And Moshe was the adopted son of the last of that bloodline. So he was very much a threat to this usurper pharaoh that was sitting on the throne. And of course, that's what we have today is we have usurpers everywhere, usurpers everywhere. I mean, you can tell when a society is dying, when you have usurpers in office, then you know your social, your social order is dying. And so at any rate, this wealth that was in the hands of the Egyptians was taken by force from the house of Yasharel over this hundred years of slavery that had gone on. Okay. So Yah is telling the people, borrow all that stuff from the Egyptians. Borrow all that stuff from the Egyptians. Every man and every woman of his neighbor, jewels of silver, jewels of gold. And Yah gave the people favor in the sight of Mitzrayim. Moreover, the man Moshe was very great in the land of Mitzrayim in the sight of Pharaoh's servants. They recognized that Moshe was not only leading these two million people over in Goshen, but also was the adopted son of the true bloodline of the throne. And Moshe said this, thus says Yahweh, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Mitzrayim, and all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Mitzrayim, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it ever again. But against any of the children of Yasharel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how, that Yahweh puts a difference between the Mitzrim and Yasharel. And all these servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, get you out. And all the people that follow you, right? Get you out and all the people that follow you. Now you can see that many of Pharaoh's servants have already recognized Moshe. So this is not just the children of Yasharel that are going to be getting out. All the people that follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe and Aharon did all these wonders before Pharaoh. 
And Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Yasharel go out of his land. Hard to believe. I mean, it's just hard to believe. But, you know, I mean, I read the book of Revelation, and you realize that even with the coming of Mashiach, with lightning from the east to the west, I mean, you're talking about massive power and authority when Mashiach returns as the lion of the, of the tribe of Judah. But when Mashiach returns, nonetheless, instead of people looking at this and going, oh, all that stuff they said in the Bible must be true. We need to quickly repent before he gets here. No. Instead, they're shaking their fist at him. They're shaking their fist at him. You would think that if you saw that kind of power and authority coming, that somebody would get it. Somebody would understand. Nope, we don't get that. I'm sorry. We don't understand that at all. Sorry, don't get it. Okay. Here, hold on here just for a second. Make sure you got this open. Okay. Yeah. Hachaput, who adopted Moshe. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, thank you, Carol, for raising that name. It's Hachaput who adopted Moshe and a female pharaoh, right? And again, the records, they try to erase the fact that there was a female pharaoh. They go out of their way. And again, it's usurpers doing it, right? So we enter into chapter 12. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe and El Aharon in the land of Mitzrayim, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of month. Okay, now is this the seventh month of the year? Is this Tishri? No. No, it's not Tishri. No, Rosh Hashanah is not in the seventh month of the year. The head of the year is Aviv. The first month of the year is in the spring. It's not in the fall. Why do the Jews practice the seventh month? Because they do not practice the Torah. They practice a Babylonian form of belief. Okay. Speak ye unto all the assembly of Yasharel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to him take it according to the number of souls, every man according to his eating, you shall make count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats. Now, you know, my wife and I, we were in Ireland. We had the chance to visit a sheep herder there in Ireland. And he was giving us a demonstration of his sheepdogs, by the way, which was absolutely spectacular. I mean, they, they would graze their sheep up this mountain that rose about, oh, I'd say 2,500 feet. And the sheep would graze up that mountainside. And then when it was time for the sheep to come home, He'd give a one-word command to the dogs, and the dogs would run straight up that mountain, these Australian sheepdogs. They'd run straight up that mountain, and then they'd herd all those sheep back down the mountain. And I asked him, I said, well, how do you know when your dogs, are, you know, when it's time to change up your dog? He says, you watch them run up the mountain. They run up about halfway, and it's like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> you know, But the older dogs teach the younger dogs how to do it. And those dogs are, their capability at herding the sheep is just something to behold. But while we were there, he said, well, come on in. Let's go into the, um, let's go into the barn here and you can see the newborn sheep. So we went into the barn and both my wife and my son picked up a baby lamb. 
And I'm telling you, when you pick up a baby lamb, you realize of the pure essence of innocence. It's just the pure essence of, and the innocence of that, of that, of a newborn lamb is just remarkable to behold. It's just remarkable. And to think that you would be slaughtering a lamb of the first year, you know that in this kind of a situation, they're told to slaughter a lamb of the first year and to have this lamb in your house for four days because they want you to fall in love with this lamb. You know, Yah had an expectation that you were going to see that this lamb was lovable, beautiful, and innocent, and completely innocent, right? You shall, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole multitude of the assembly of Yashorel shall kill it in the evening. Now, does it say you shall kill it, that, that, that you shall take your sheep, your lamb, down to the priest at the temple and have him kill it at three o'clock in the afternoon? No, it doesn't say that. There's no Levite priest that's killing the lamb for you. So all that hypothetical stuff you heard over at the Messianic Fellowship, when they were telling you that Mashiach was sacrificed the same time the Levites were sacrificing all the lambs for the Pesach, is rabbinical hodgepodge, okay? This is not a temple sacrifice. It's not a temple sacrifice. The whole of the multitude of the assembly shall kill each lamb at his house in the evening. In the evening of the 14th. Not the following day at three o'clock, in the evening on the 14th. And they shall take up the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the house, wherein they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water. Don't boil the meat. Roast the meat with fire, with his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remains of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. Okay. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. For it is Yahweh's Pesach. Now, when you think about the last supper that took place, the last supper that took place was anathema to the Jewish tradition and the Jewish practice that was going on at that time. They had the Pesach Seder the first night of matzah. They would do it on the 15th. So they called the 14th the day of preparation. And they would be sacrificing their lambs during the day of the 14th. That's incorrect. The Pesach was to be held the night before. The night before. And so when you see Mashiach and his Talmudim practicing the Last Supper, they were practicing it at the correct time. And as they practiced it, they practiced it probably with the shoes on their feet and the staff on their hand. You shall eat it in haste because they would later go out into the garden, right? 
For I will pass through the land of Mitzrayim this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both male and beast. And against all the Elohai of Mitzrayim, I will execute judgment. So here what is happening is you have Egypt that has engaged in idolatry, adopting many, many gods. Some of those gods, I think we can see, were probably like it was in India, worshiping cattle. And they may have, for instance, when Moshe, we talked about this last week, Moshe says to Pharaoh, look, what we're going to do is an abomination in the eyes of Egypt because we're going to kill that, that cattle. We're going to kill that goat. We're going to kill that lamb. And that will be an abomination under the Mitzrayim. So here you see that these were probably Elohai in the eyes of Mitzrayim. And the judgment is executed against them. I am Yahweh. And the blood shall be to you for a mark upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Mitzrayim. Now, a couple of things here. That when you look at the doorpost, you've got a couple of things going here. Either one, you had a doorpost, you know, that kind of looked like this. You had the lintel here. And And so he says, okay, well, take the blood and slosh the blood on the two side posts and the door post. So they would take the blood and they'd slosh it on here, and on here, and on here, creating a modern day tav, if you will, modern day tav. Or it's also possible that they did this. They struck twice the side posts and the lintel, putting on board the paleo top, the Paleo-Ivrit-Tav. And again, you say, well, that's, that's more of a cross. Well, the Tav is specified in Ezekiel 9. Mark them with a tab, the angel with the inkhorn. Set a tab upon them who are not going to be slaughtered in Jerusalem. Set a tab upon them. And so, you know, take your choice as to what you think may have been the marking that went on. I don't think it was Babylonian. I think it was paleo hebrew that they used to mark the, the, the posts. And it was very much like an X marks the spot, but it was a paleo hebrew tab. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over to you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Mitzrayim. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, next, 
Seven days shall you eat matzah. Even the first day shall you put away all the leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats chametz, that's leaven, from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Yasharel. In other words, if you're going to eat leaven during that period of time, go hang out with the Egyptians. You're not hanging out with the Yasharel anymore. And in the first day, there shall be a holy assembly. In the Hebrew, that's Hag, Hag. It's a high Sabbath. And in the seventh day, there shall be a holy assembly to you. No manner of work shall be done therein, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. So you can fix a meal. You can fix a meal and you can eat it, but you're not supposed to be doing anything else. No matter what you're not supposed to be doing anything else. And you shall guard the feast of matzah, for in this selfsame day I brought your armies out of the land of Mitzrayim. Therefore, shall you guard this day as in your generations by an ordinance forever. Okay, so here we have Pesach and matzah being set forth. Matzah on the 14th day. Pesach begins the, or, uh, Pesach on the 14th. Matzah begins the next day. And in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat matzah. So even during the Pesach, you're to eat matzah until the one and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days, no chametz in your houses. For whosoever eats that which is with chametz, even that soul shall be cut off from the assembly of Yasharel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing with chametz in your habitat. You shall eat matzah. Then Moshe called for all the elders of Yashrael and said, Draw out the cake of the land according to your families to the Pesach. And you shall take a bunch of Pesach and dip it in blood that is in the face. Now, this is true baptism. We always want to go back to the same Well, it is a big one. It's one aspect. But these are the hyssop that's dipped in the blood when they're baptized in the Shia. We are the hyssop in the blood of Allah is the word there. And strike the one down the two side posts and the blood comes in the basin. Then it can show the blood of the Lord of his house until the morning. That blood will pass through the smite in its ring. And when he sees the blood of the limb pole and one of the side posts, Yahweh will pass over the door. Isn't it when you strike the mid ring? See who it is that strikes the mitzvah. It's not the angel of death that's going to strike the mitzvah. It's Yah himself. I will ask of the Lord, but suffer to destroy your houses and smite you. You shall guard this thing as an ordinance to you and your sons forever. And it shall come to pass when they come to the land and shall well be given you. As he has promised, and he shall guard this service. And it shall come Yes. Your audio is very choppy. Audio is choppy? Yeah, a lot of people have an understanding. Okay. Uh, Maybe you still have too many windows open. I've got too many windows open? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or else somebody's microphone is on and it's giving a feedback. 
Yeah, somebody's mic is on. I, I, I heard that. Um, but let me just double check here. Let's see if we can see if there's anybody's microphone. It's giving us grief here. Looks like everybody's muted. Okay. All right. Can you still hear me now? Can you hear me? That sounds good now, Doc. It sounds good. Okay. All right. Let me go back and share this screen and see if we can get this squared away. Okay. All right. And you shall guard this thing for an ordinance to you and your sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you are coming to the land, which Yahweh will give you according as he has promised, you shall guard this service. It shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? Then you shall say, it is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Pesach, who passed over the houses of the children of Yasharel in Mitzrayim, when he smote the Mitzrayim and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped. And the children of Yasharel went away, as did Yahweh had commanded Moshe and Aharon, so did they. And it came to pass that at midnight Yahweh smote all the firstborn in the land of Israel, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Mitzrayim, and there was great cry in Mitzrayim, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moshe and Aharon by night and said, rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Yasharel, and go and serve Yahweh. As ye have said, also take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Mitzrayim were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste because Pharaoh finally got it. We will all be dead men. Now it only comes home to roost at Pharaoh. Only when there's a chance that Pharaoh's going to die does Pharaoh finally realize, uh, okay, maybe I should have let these guys go. And the midstream were urgent, right? And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Yasharel did according to the word of Moshe. They borrowed of the midstream jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Mitzrayim so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Mitzrayim. And the children of Yasharel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 on foot that were men, besides the children. So there were 600,000 men, okay? And a mixed multitude went also up with them and flocks, and herds, and even very many cattle. And they baked matzah cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Mitzrayim, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Mitzrayim and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Yasharel, who dwelt in the land of Mitzrayim, in the land of Canaan, they and their fathers, was 430 years. Now this is the sojourning, okay? Now this sojourning right here, when you calculate that 430 years, you're talking about the sojourning. The sojourning begins with Abraham leaving Haran. That's where you start the calculation. That the sojourning of the children of Yasharel begins with Abraham leaving Haran. Remember that the seed of Yasharel is in the loins of Abraham. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day came to pass that all the hosts of Yahweh went out from the land of Mitzrayim. And it is 
Uh, it is a night to be much observed unto Yahweh for bringing them out of the land of Israel. This is the night of Yahweh to be observed of all the children of Yasharel in their generations. Okay, so the selfsame day. So what day do you think that the 70 entered into Egypt? It was on Pesach. That's the day they came into Egypt and the day they came out. And it was also the same day that Abraham left Haran. He left on the day of Pesach. And Yahweh said in the Moshe and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Pesach. There shall be no stranger eat thereof. But every man's servant that is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he shall eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. You shall not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the assembly of Yasharel shall keep it. The uh, and, and when a stranger shall sojourn with you and will keep the Pesach to Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised. Then let them come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One Torah shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourns among you. Thus did all the children of Yasharel, as Yahweh commanded Moshe and Aharon, so they did. And it came to pass that selfsame day that Yahweh did bring the children of Yasharel out of the land by their armies. Okay, so the, the question of the circumcision then rises before us, right? Now, in this particular case, you know, when we're talking about the circumcision here, are we talking about the physical circumcision or the circumcision of the heart? Now, from a spiritual point of view, you know, we have Paul laboring over this issue rather substantially, right? Paul's going to go through this and say, look, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. And I've had people write me on this many, many times about the faith. And well, it's one thing to talk about the circumcision spiritually. It's another thing to talk about it in reference to the Passover. So when you talk about the circumcision physically, Paul is correct that the physical circumcision becomes uncircumcision if you violate the Torah. If you're in violation of the Torah, you're considered uncircumcised for purposes of the house of Yasharel. So what, what the argument Paul makes is, well, if you're considered uncircumcised, if you can become uncircumcised after you were physically circumcised because you're in violation of the Torah, what difference does it make if you're physically circumcised? Okay, it's a bit, this is a big question. And I think Paul makes a very good argument that if you can become uncircumcised after being physically circumcised, then you can also become spiritually circumcised, although you're not physically circumcised. Hold on. Now, in addition to that, we also talk about the circumcision of the heart. For the literalist who wants to believe literally in the Old Testament, the circumcision of the heart's a difficult issue because you're going to have to get out a pretty sharp knife if you're going to circumcise your heart. The circumcision of the heart is a spiritual issue. What is the circumcision of the heart? It is the relenting of pride and the submitting 
to the idea that you have a creator that created you and wants you to respect what he has done. This is the circumcision of the heart. Now, later on, we're going we're to get farther into the Torah. We're going to see that there is a second Pesach for both the uncircumcised, the unclean, and those on a journey far away. Now, most of us are on a journey far away. We're not in Yerushalayim, right? Okay. Chapter 13, and Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever opens the womb among the children of Yasharel, both of the beast in his mind. Okay, now this is something that the rabbis teach, and we totally ignore in our world, okay? But the firstborn are to be sanctified unto Yah. Moshe said unto the people, remember this day in which you came out from Israel, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, Yahweh brought you from this place. There shall be no comets eaten. This day came ye out in the month of Aviv. And it shall be that when Yahweh shall bring you into the land of the Canaanim and the Chittim and the Amorim and the Chivim and the Yebusim, which he swore at seven oaths under your, unto your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat matzah, and then the seventh day shall be a feast to Yahweh. Matzah shall be eaten at seven days. There shall be no chamed seen with you. Neither shall there be leaven seen with you in all of your quarters. And you shall show your son in that day, saying, this is done because of that which Yahweh did unto me when I came forth out of Israel, and it shall be a sign of, for you upon your hand and for a memorial between your eyes. Okay. Everybody get out the tattoo pen and put and tattoo Pesach on your hand and tattoo Pesach, you know, and matzah between your eyes. Right? And while you're there, don't forget to circumcise your heart. You know, look, when he's talking about this, what is he saying? He, when he says it's going to be a sign upon your hand, he's talking about this is what your hand is going to do. This will be a sign because this is what you do. And a memorial between your eyes means it's something you're going to remember in the forefront of your mind, right? Keep this in the forefront of your mind. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Keep this in the front of your mind. That when I say to you, you might even tell your kids this, keep this in the front of your mind. When I tell you there's no going out after 10 o'clock, I mean it, right? Keep this in the front of your mind. Keep this idea forefront. Keep this right in the center of what you're thinking about. That's what he's talking about here. Keep it as a memorial between your lives. Keep this in the front. Keep this right up front. This is something you need to have as a high priority. That Yah's Torah may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, as Yahweh brought you out of Mitzrayim, you shall therefore guard this ordinance in his appointed time from year to year. And it shall be that when Yahweh shall bring you into the land of Canaanim, as he swore seven oaths unto you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, that you shall set apart unto Yahweh all that opens the womb. Every firstling that comes of a beast which you have, the male shall be Yahweh's. Every firstling of an ass you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among your children shall you redeem. All the firstborn of man among your children shall ye redeem. Now, what does that mean to redeem your children, Right. What does that mean to redeem your, your firstborn? 
We'll take some opinion on that here when we get in. In fact, let's take some opinion on that right now. What does it mean to redeem your firstborn? Let's get some ideas on that. Who's got an idea? Speak up. I do. Dave, what have you got? Well, when you uh, move from uh, the firstborn, firstborn. In, in, in the first Adam, the firstborn is the first Adam, and you move to the last Adam, you've redeemed that 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 uh, your person, and uh, that last Adam is uh, is is inherited the land, and that firstborn is the one that's going to die, just like it did in Mitzurim, and all in the first Adam die. That's the way I said. Mm. Okay. Difficult proposition. Anybody else have anything on this? Uh, we we dedicated our firstborn when we came into this and we did it through prayer. We said this is your this is yours. Do as you wish. Okay. All right. Hallelujah, Brian. I mean, I think uh yeah. This this I mean, I we, think of course. We, May I Go say? Ahead. Yeah, sure. Uh, we did dedicating our children, not baptizing. And what I felt very deep in my heart before making this decision to do the dedication, I, I, it, it was kind of a battle in me, and Yahuwah told me or let me see that I gave the child back to him. I had to let it go, and I was getting the baby back to take care of it. Until adulthood. Yeah. Until very, adult, adulthood, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. I think this concept is very important for us all, that we recognize that the children that we have were given for us to be stewards over but the children belong to yah they don't belong to us and uh sometimes we lose sight we, we lose sight of that idea but i think it's really important for uh, a person to recognize that um the children belong to yah and if you do understand that sometimes people lose children and when you lose children, it's a very difficult thing to go through. I mean, you know, when the when the child predeceases the parent, it's a very difficult thing to go through. And we, but we have to recognize that from the from the start of things, the children belong to Yah; they don't belong to us. And that in Yah's hand is their consideration, and the path that they walk is also going to be in Yah's hands. And so when we deal with this issue, you know, it becomes, it's, it's so difficult for a parent because we think that, well, if we teach our children well, they're going to hold our values. They'll hold our values exactly the same way we hold our values. But that isn't the case at all. They, no matter how you look at it, you can lead the horse to water all day long. But the horse has to elect to drink of that water by themselves. And if you stick their face in the water, 
they're not going to drink at all. And so, you know, you do your best to show the horse where the water is. You do the best you can. But ultimately, Yah is going to make his decision about how he's going to handle the life that is before you and the soul that has been entrusted into your hands. Right? Dr. Payne? Yes. Uh, something I've always been curious about, because I've, I've heard this, but I've never really studied it out, but the, what does that look like? The, what we're talking about, the, the um, dedication of the firstborn. Well, I mean, here you see, like, I think Corey was talking about, you see this quite often. We used to see this in Christian fellowships a lot that when a, when a child was maybe a year old and sometimes less than that, the christening, you would, you, you, well, it's not really a christening. You bring the child in before the fellowship and the child is dedicated to Yah and the fellowship prays over the child. And, you know, you pray over the child and the, and the, and the fellowship prays over the child. And I think Brian and Chris also mentioned it very well was praying over the child and dedication. It's really what's in your heart. Uh, and the words to come out of your mouth before Yah concerning the child, uh, you know, um, in the um, you know in the rabbinical world, the rabbi shows up with a plate, and you start putting your jewels and you know your coins and everything else on the plate until the rabbi says that's enough money. Now your child's been redeemed and walks out. That I've seen. I yeah, I do not believe that that is redeeming the child. The rabbi has no, the rabbi puts his pants on one leg at a time like the rest of us do. So Chris, you were going to say something, brother? Yeah. I just wanted to bring this a little bit further, if I may. And I know this, this might be a bit of a heavy topic, uh, but I just wanted to mention it. Well, how does Yahweh redeem his people? How does he redeem us? And I think that's maybe another question for a whole new discussion, however, it's very important to this whole concept of redemption. And um, by uh, sacrificing the firstborn of, of the, of the uh, Mitzrayimi, didn't he maybe also make a statement to redeem the people, right? We know people like Ayov or Job was a Mitzrayimi, and, uh, and, and we see that in the book of Job, he's redeemed by his belief. Um, now, I mean, he could have also come from Yasharali. So, the, but but I'm just saying that 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 this is uh, a point. So, how does he redeem us? Well, the death of the word, the death of the Torah, through Yahusha Hamashiach, is the redemption that he that because it, for 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 him to be remarried to those that believe, he had to die. Because that's a that's a law of the Torah. So he redeems us by the death of himself to bring us back into the kingdom of Yahweh, which is a heavenly kingdom, which is a which is a, as you've said now, a decision of the heart and not of the flesh. And I think that's quite pertinent to this whole um, discussion. Uh, but it's it's obviously putting it extremely simply the way that I've just described it yeah yeah i think that's that's a really good point chris i mean i think we cannot leave out the death of mashiach and this redemption and again you know yeah. this is what you see really in this teaching that is you know i tell you the truth if you don't eat my flesh and don't drink my blood you have no part of me 
and this is real food. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Well, he's still telling them, even after that, he says, this is spiritually speaking. This is spiritually speaking. I'm speaking to you of spiritual matters. He tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I would bring an army here to slaughter all of you. But you can see that so we're talking about something here that is quite spiritual. And this is kind of, I think, the clarification that we get from the teaching of Paul. Trying to teach us that these matters are spiritual and not necessarily physical. So in dedicating your children, dedicating your firstborn, and even redeeming your other children after that, I think this redemption is an extremely important part because, number one, it puts you in a proper status before Yah concerning your children. It puts you in a proper status because you need to recognize you're not the owner of your children. You're the steward of your children. You are their guardians on behalf of Yah for the lives that are before you. And that's what you, that's the undertaking you have to undertake. And also, by dedicating your children to Yah and, and saying the thing, for instance, that Samuel's mother said, you remember Samuel's mother, like Sarah, like Rivka, could not give birth. Right? Remember, they could not give birth. And <clears throat> suddenly, by the working of the Ruach HaKodesh, they're made pregnant. But she makes a promise to Yah and says, my child will be a priest unto you. If you give me a child, my child will be a priest unto you. And of course, Shemuel is called miraculously and is called miraculously into the priesthood. What a wonderful story it is. And, uh, and of course, he becomes the last judge of Israel. He becomes the last judge of Israel. And uh, so this is, um, you know, I, I think these are important things. We see this redemption, right? And I'm glad you guys talked about this because I'll tell you, I wanted, I really wanted, I've always had this question in my mind. What is he talking about in terms of uh, redemption? Lisa, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I do. Um, so my background is in psychology and I think I'm going to maybe bring this maybe even beyond spiritual to maybe even more practical because I think both are important uh, because what we do is a reflection of who we are, but redeeming the firstborn. All right. So one of the things that we know is that children, the firstborn will kind of help raise the other children. And so um, what you, when you pour into your first child, say, we are going to do these um we're going to follow Torah. We are going to do these things that they actually help bring up the other children. And also when you have one, it's a lot easier to pour into them all of this than it is when you have multiples. Because again, the first one will kind of, it's not that the other ones follow them 100%, but they do help raise the other children. And so I that this is just what I thought when I first read it. It's just like, okay, so pour everything into the first one. Not everything, but really dedicate um to your child what your beliefs are and what the word says and raise them in that and um and again you you want to do that with all your children but it does seem to be practically easier when you have one that's all i want to say but you know 
one of the things I might not have been clear on is um, when we dedicated, we ded- dedicated it through the blood of Yahusha. His blood is the only blood that matters, that not, not animal blood. So we dedicate through his blood. He's the, he's the firstborn. He, 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 we do it through him. And the biggest thing is you in your heart, this is yes. the tough part, have to let it be of Yah. You yes. you can't give it, give it you can't dedicate it then try taking it back, it it don't work that way you and it's easy in the flesh it's easy to do um, uh, this is a spiritual thing and what Paul is trying to tell us first in the natural he shows us thing in the natural to show us spiritual things that's mm-hmm. what that whole the the whole Torah is about so if you're walking in the Torah and you're teaching yours Marie says if you teach the child in my ways he'll never depart. So when you get him young enough and you teach him his ways, we have a promise that he won't depart from that. But we can't waver either. We have to stay in that position. So easier said than done. Uh, amen, to that. amen to that, Brian. Amen. To that. Easier said than done. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But well, I'm, go ahead, Angela. What if you don't come to the tour until after your children are grown? Now, when they were younger, we tried to go to church um, and they were both baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, but they both walked, they walked away from their beliefs. Now I believe that my, my daughter who is my firstborn um, does have a belief in Yah now because I've constantly talked to her about him and, and how much he has helped her in the condition that she's in the small blessings we praise him um but my older son i mean he mocks my beliefs you know he'll come he'll come to my house of course now he lives in in the basement but i mean before he would come to my house on easter sunday and say i'm going to do the pagan uh eggs out in the yard just you know and it would upset me so much. So what do you do if you don't come into tour till after? Well, here's what I'm going to say to Angela is that, you know, all of these are, all of these are in the hands of Yah too, right? The timing was such that the revelation of Yah in your life was the revelation of Yah in your life at his timing. It wasn't at our timing. It's his timing. And all of this has to do with the walk that's presented before your children. And ultimately, they have a decision to make, too. And now we're dealing with, for a lot of us, we're dealing with really tough times because a lot of us have kids that have embraced the communism in the the Western world now that's overtaken the country. They've run out and followed, uh, you know, the VAX protocol. They're all addicted to their cell phones, Uh, you know, uh, on and on and on it goes. We have this kind of a we have this kind of a social order. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm telling my my daughter now, uh, my grandsons, the thing you want to rule out is college. Don't drop so much as one dime in college, and don't put your kids over there because colleges are, are not an educational facility; they're a brainwashing academy, and they don't teach anything. And the the last uh, one of my ne- nephews and nieces, in fact, all of the kids that went through college since you know uh 2010 have been brainwashed they're not taught a thing they come home communists you know god-hating communists 
and they've been taught to hate their parents. I mean, and the kind of hatred that they teach, I mean, it's it's no longer persuasive. Uh, you know, they they teach with the most radical enforcing tools you can imagine, brainwashing. It's just brainwashing, period. That's what it is. And so I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to share any more stories about these kids and, and, the, and how they're wandering around in a daze right now. But I, you know, I want to believe that Yah is going to show himself to them as Yah showed himself to me. I mean, look, you think I was walking a perfect straight line, you know, as a young man, not a, not a chance, man. I was off into the wilderness, right? And if it wasn't for the fact that Yah warred over my grave in front of my eyes, which is what he did. He warred over my grave in front of my eyes. If he hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here with you guys today at all. I wouldn't be here. I'd probably already be dead, long since dead. And, you know, uh, but he warred over my grave. And may it be his conclusion concerning my children as well, my nieces and nephews, my grandkids. May he war over their grave as well. And that they may come to see, that they may come to see before their life is gone, the truth of the name of Yahweh. And, you know, so, yes, Angela, do not let your heart be vexed over this issue, okay? All faith is a growth process. I don't know about you, but I mean, if you're in a situation where you came to faith, uh, you know, 45 years ago, and your position still hasn't changed, and you still haven't read First John because you don't know it exists in the New Testament, you know, you're, you're dead on arrival. You're DOA. You know, your soul has gone nowhere for 45 years. You need to be, every person's faith journey should be growing throughout his life, right? As you work out your salvation with fear and trembling before Yah, every person is going to have growth in their life and your position is going to change as you learn new things. I see that granddaughter right there, Lois. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Hi. So when you see this, when you see this, that we know this, that things are going to change. So how many of us knew that the Christmas tree was pagan? I mean, you know, you grew up in American society or Canadian society. You know, Christmas is the biggest deal you can possibly imagine. And it's shoved down your throat like you cannot believe. The whole of the culture shifts gears when it comes into Christmas season. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever worked in retail. I used to manage a retail chain. And, you know, our numbers look like this. Christmas, you know, we made, we made bank. The only reason we stayed alive, the only reason the company continued from year to year was because of Christmas, period. You know, of course, uh, you know, we had this company up in Alaska. I, I get a story with you. We had this company up in Alaska. We were known for radical advertising. And so one Christmas, I did the ad myself. I'm sitting there. I've got my arm around the sandal. The camera sit on us. And I said, now, look, we're having this sale over here. You guys need to come down here and take advantage of it right now. And then the camera pulls out, and I've got a gun on Santa. Get down here or Santa gets it. And to prove me we mean business, 
free reindeer sausage for the first eight customers. <laughs> anyway, enough of that nonsense. But the point is, is that when you talk about, when you think about the kind of pressure that's put on you as a young person to celebrate Christmas, it's unbelievable. You know, Halloween ends with what? Black Friday sales. Here comes Black Friday. Everybody get up in the middle of the night and go buy your Christmas presents right now while they're cheap. Then the radio stations start hammering you with those tired, worn out Christmas. I mean, if I ever hear another Christmas carol again, I'm going to hang myself. Particularly Michael Jackson singing, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Like I hear that song, I just like plug my ears and gouge my eyes out. I don't want to hear those Christmas songs anymore. I just don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them. And I don't want to hear them. But you can't get away from them. It's like nonstop. They're being blared everywhere. And it starts, you know, the day after Halloween. And then, then the traffic becomes a nightmare. You can't drive anywhere because everybody's out Christmas shopping and doing all this other stuff. But this big, gigantic pagan ritual that is shoved down your face. And so when you're a young person, you don't know any better, you go along with this. But then when you discover the truth, what are you going to do? You're going to stay there? So you didn't stay there. You walked away. But your kids remember the ritual. And so because the kids remember the ritual and, and, and it's widely accepted in the public, they're going to stay on the broad path. They're going to stay on the broad path until they recognize that their path belongs to them and has, and you don't have any ownership in their path anymore at all. You don't have any ownership in their path. When they recognize that and they realize they're wholly responsible for their own path, then they have to consider what it is they're doing. This is what I used to tell young people. I, like I would be invited in to teach uh, middle school choir from time to time. And I'd tell the students, I'd say, look, this is your choir. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. You know, 25 years from now, you're going to think about how you guys sang at this particular performance when you're in eighth grade. You'll remember it. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. Are you going to sing well or are you going to sound like garbage? What are you going to do? It's your choice. Now, if you decide that you want to sing well, I'll teach you guys how to do it. But if you decide you don't care, then let's just slop anything up on the board and see how it goes. And then you guys can take it from there. But otherwise, I'm calling you into the pursuit of excellence. The pursuit of excellence. And it's the same thing you could say to your son, Angela, when it comes over to mock. Say, well, look, you know, you understand when he says, ha ha, guess what? I'm going to participate in that pagan feast. We'll put in on Easter eggs. And then say to him, well, look, I understand how you would continue to do that. You know what it is. You know it's a pagan feast. You know what it is. And you should consider pursuing excellence instead of decadence. But, you know, the fact that they, the fact that they continue to put out Easter eggs remains what? That means that they continue to have a false Elohim in front of them. They continue to have a false Elohim. And I'm going to talk about this Thursday. This Thursday, I'm going to, on the dig, I'm doing my own PowerPoint presentation. And we're going to be talking about the demon god called democracy. Dr. P, 
Yes. Hi, Raina. How are you? Good. We're all individuals. And Yad calls us at different times. All we can do is pray. Yahusha said he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's nowhere there that it's Judaism, different types of Judaism, where I come from. Whether it's a temple, synagogue, or whatever. No such thing in the scripture. Amen. And take it to heart about the, all the children of Yasharel. Look at Esau. What he did. Sold his birthright. Yeah. So we have to learn. You know, and uh, all we can do is pray for them and let Yah do his will. Because that's what he's going to do anyway. Yeah, amen. That's amen. Right. Right. That I is what I do. Thank you. Yeah, who's, who's saying that? Uh, it's Angela. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I do. I do pray. I pray every night for my children, for their soul. And I will have faith that Yah will reveal to them as he revealed to me. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Yeah, and I think I think Brandon's point is really good. I mean, there was a, there was a guy who... I think he was convicted of murder and he was going to die on death row. And he came to salvation at the last moment. And somebody said, I don't know how it is that a guy like you, so wicked, would come to salvation. And it turned out that his grandmother had been praying for him for 50 years. Right? His grandmother had been praying for him for 50 years. So even people who come from a Masonic background and come from all this other stuff, you know, when somebody in the family is praying for them, Yah hears the prayer, right? Yah hears the prayer. Okay, hallelujah. All right, well, let's finish this Torah portion, and then we'll open this thing up to discussion a little bit here. We're almost done. Okay. All right, let's see. Um, and... It shall be that when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say unto him, by the strength of hand, Yahweh brought us out from Mitzrayim, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when the Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that Yahweh slew all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to Yahweh all that opens the womb being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a mark upon your hand and for frontlets between your eyes. By the hand of brought us forth out of Mitzrayim. Okay. All right. All right, let's talk a little bit. Brian, Chris, Shalom. go ahead. Shalom. You know, somebody was praying for me because I was wicked. And in 1982, I, got, I call it my aha moment. I realized there was a creator of the universe. I was 22 years old. So I know this 
prayer works. I know somebody, I don't know who was praying for me, but somebody was. I just know somebody was. I don't know who it was. I can guess, but you know, that's that's it's amazing. Prayer prayer works. Anyway, my uh my my thing is I it's funny you brought up about the name because I've been really uh, been on my heart about and am I witnessing wrong? Um Am I, because I talk about the commandments, but then it's been laid on me. I really should be talking about the name more than the commandment. Um, and we have a brother over in Kenya that has a thing called hallelujah meetings. Hallelujah meetings. And the first thing he teaches is, do you know what hallelujah means? Praise be to Yah. We all say it in churches, do we not? And then he goes in and, teach and teaches the name Yahuwah. So that's the, that's, and, and that's the, that's how I start, that's how you start a relationship. You know, you don't start a relationship with, hey, you, you want to know the person's name, right? Hey, you, oh, you know, sir, that we don't do that. We start with a name. That's a relationship. Anyway, I just wanted to bring up, that was very interesting. You brought that up and it follows along with what I've been looking at in uh, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And because uh, that that really, like I said, that's the one that's convicted me about, you know, if you deny me before a man, I'll deny you before the father. And so are we denying him by not saying his name? I always thought that was persecution. When you're being persecution, are you going to say, give that up? But you know what? Are we denying him by not speaking the name? That's that's on my heart. That was the question I had. I, I feel that's we're denying him by not even speaking the name before men. I think I think Brian, you're right on it in that respect. Even when you look at the commandment, "Thou shalt not bring his name to naught," right? And we looked at this commandment, uh, you know, during class in the Ten Devarim class. And when it says, "I will not hold him guiltless," that word there really means, "I will not make him clean." That brings my name to nothing. That takes my name in vain. That uses my name with vanity. I will not render him spiritually clean. Now, this is reiterated in the Gospels where Mashiach says, look, it's not what you put in your mouth that makes you unclean, but what comes out of your mouth makes you unclean. So when you think about this, that when you're talking about the name, that if you bring the name to nothing by saying Hashem or Adonai or Lord or Baal, you brought his name to nothing. I'm not going to re reference your name. When when it says that you created man by breathing the Neshama Chayim into his nostrils, I'm not going to reference your name. I'm going to give some fake replacement for that, some title for that. I'm not going to reference that. Well, that's bringing his name to nothing. When you think about a scripture that refuses to print his name, you brought his name to nothing. His, his name doesn't, you brought his name to nothing. You've eliminated his name from the scripture. You've completely wiped it out. You've eliminated his name and you've eliminated his name. You brought it to nothing. And what does he say? When you do that, you're, you are made spiritually unclean. When Hashem comes out of your mouth in replacement for Yahweh, when Adonai comes out of your mouth for replacement of Yahweh, when Lord comes out of your mouth in replacement for Yahweh, when you know, when you know, you're rendered spiritually unclean. You're spiritually unclean. And so the whole point of this, the whole rest of this, I think, when we see this in terms of the meaning of scripture in our lives, is that 
this business of spiritual cleanliness and the world in which we live, there have been few, very few, throughout the history of scripture that have been given the authority to speak the name Yahweh. Very few. There have been centuries that have gone by when no one has spoken that name. Centuries, even probably millennia that have gone by when no one has spoken that name. Yet Moshe spoke it and published it. David declared it unto the assembly. The prophets named themselves after it. Mashiach declared it unto his Talmudim and said, at the, on the evening of his death, I have declared it and will declare it. Even on the evening of his death. So when we see this, what do we say? What do just, we think, say? just think 2,000 years ago, the disciples, those fishermen did not know his name. They probably were calling him I don't know what they were doing. Because in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in John 17, it clearly states, I taught them your name. Yeah. So they didn't yeah. know 2,000 years ago. So anyway, the other question I had was the three days of darkness. And then, of course, this, I have another question about 70, but I don't know if I have enough time for that. But um, Go ahead. The, three day, the three days of darkness um, is very interesting. I, 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 it's prophesied in Joel. And it's interesting, when the three days of darkness happened in Exodus, it says darkness they could feel, but there was light inside the homes. And I kind of wondered, because if the Israelites had light, the Egyptians could not see the light, or could they see the light in the homes? Were they partially blinded? So what came to mind when I thought that was Romans 10.25, where it says, the house of Yehuda is partially blind until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And it also reminds me of the of Paul being blinded for three days. I, I personally think the three days of blindness, a three days of darkness is going to come some um, unleavened bread in the future. Um, just like Yehusha was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. The one sign and one sign only is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah uh, could happen on a future uh, unleavened bread, three days of darkness. So, and I think that even the this can be so dark, even the, the electricity is going out. But in our homes, we'll have light. Somehow we'll have light in our homes. <laughs> what was will be, that's my thought. Anyway, the 70, my wife has a question about the 70, so do I. We're trying to figure out where the 70 comes in, because the only time the 70 is mentioned that I'm aware of is when the 70 elders go up on the mountain to have break bread with Yah. That's well before the time in Egypt. Where are you finding the 70 at? Do you read some history book somewhere? Where's that coming from? I think it's in the book of Genesis, actually. It says that when they came up into, or, you know, you're talking about maybe Genesis uh, 45 or 46 or something like this. But uh, when they came up, in, it says that when Yaakov uh, was told, right, the whole story of the of the brethren coming to Joseph, and then Joseph weeps and discloses himself and says, where's Benjamin? And then Benjamin's there and all of that. And then Yaakov sends chariots back to the land of Canaan, and they're Egyptian chariots. And he says, just, you know, we're, we've got everything packed up for you. Just pack up your stuff and come. And then when they came, when they left out of Canaan, the scripture seven. says, mm -hmm. and it was 70 souls. Okay. It was 70 souls that came out. 
And uh, so, so I think that's where the 70 comes from. I think, and I think it's Genesis 46 or 47, something in that range. All right. So I, and and, I, I was wondering where you got it from. I, that explains it. Okay. <laughs> Genesis right, 46, yeah. 27. It's what? Genesis 46, 27. 4627. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you for clarifying that. So I don't want to take any more time. You got a lot of people here. So shalom and thank you very much for your answers. Shalom, Brian. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Okay. Sherry Slama, how are you, sister? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, my question's on the Colburn Bible. Um, is it an Egyptian point of view? And was it brought to the UK by the Celts for preservation? Colburn, yeah. Well, first of all, calling it a Bible, I think, is, uh, you know, all right, that's one word you could use, right? That's one word you could use. And I'll tell you, I'm not so sure about these Egyptian stuff in, in the, the opening chapters in the Colburn, because they make the same claim, basically, that Joseph Smith did. These were found on bronze. We kept them on bronze tablets up in Scotland, which nobody can see. Uh, why not? I mean, if they're true, why aren't they in a museum where we can all watch them, where we can all look and compare your translation to everybody else's translation because they're sequestered in order to protect our copyright? Come on. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and quite frankly, I, mean, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Sherry, I mean, when we talk about the Colburn, there's stuff that I believe is just flat fiction. And, you know, there's a, there's a portion of the book that includes what's called the Coel book, the Coel book, which this does have some long legs in it that uh, appears to go back to Old King Cole. And Old King Cole is Old King Coel, right? And Coel, of course, was the father of Caradoc or Caradactus, Caractacus, excuse me. And Caradoc was the father of that whole family that are friends of Paul described in in second uh, timothy and also in the in the book of romans greet so and so greet such and such greet the other people those were all latin names for the house of caradoc who was the welsh king who had been taken into captivity by the roman caesars in rome and in lieu of executing him caradoc gives this famous speech that's taught in all british schools and he says if you know if you were a true king you'd have mercy and show mercy by not killing me and so the Caesar said, yeah, okay, we won't kill you. You, you guys can all live in captivity here. So the house of, of the, the kings of Britain became resident in uh, Rome. And they're referenced by Paul. They're referenced by Paul. Every one of those names that he's talking about, including Lucius and Linus and Claudia and so on and so forth, those are all the, the children of the house of Caradoc. And uh, so... It becomes you know, pretty interesting. So the Coel book, I think, does have authenticity that's contained in the Colburn, the Coel book. You can buy the Coel book separately, by the way. But the Egyptian stuff at the beginning, I think it's absolute fiction. And that's why it's copyrighted, because it is fiction. You can't copyright that, which is in the public domain, but you can sure copyright fiction. Okay. Thank you. All right. You bet. Angela, Angela G. Morris, you had something for us. I know you did. Um, actually, I had a question on your resource page, um, the SEFA website, um, the calendar. I am not able to download that. I'm not able to, when I click on it, it just 
doesn't pull anything up. It doesn't, it goes away. Um, okay. Okay, so you go to free data. Okay, just a minute. Now, it may be that the reason it goes away is because uh, Penny may have taken down the calendar for the time being in preparation for a new one. So let's go to resources, go to free downloads. Now I can download other things from the resources app. Yeah. Now in the free download, we have a script of sacred names. calendar was further up yeah the calendar yeah yeah probably what's going on angela is that penny has probably taken the calendar down in lieu of um the publication oh I, we, ju we just don't have the 2023 calendar up yet that's why it's not there i thought i saw oh, it further up see 2023 feast days And 22, 23 calendar. Looks well, kind of blank. Yeah. No, it's there. Huh. I wonder why I can't get that. Okay. Uh, Maybe it's my no, phone. I, I, I had the same problem, and I don't know if it is because of the cell phone app. I don't know. Angela, are you opening it up on the cell phone or on the PC? I'm I'm opening up on the um, on my phone. I'll try and open it up on my tablet later, which is uh, yeah. On, on on my phone, I had the same problem, Angela. So okay. I don't know if it's the phone. Uh, if if it's something to do with the settings of the phone, I don't. I'm not sure. It probably is because it's opening up a PDF. It's opening up a PDF, and it could be that you don't have a PDF uh, reader on your phone. Okay. Okay. All right. Well. Thank you. I appreciate that. You bet. And yeah, we try to keep those resources as up to date as we can. Okay. David, how are you, brother? That's weird because I can download other things, but I can't download. Shalom, I have a, a, a really interesting revelation that I've been holding. The uh, In First John, in chapter 4, in like uh, verse two and three, I believe it is, three and four, two and three, talks about, uh, in ISR, it says, uh, all those that, uh, you know, it talks about confessing that Yahushua uh, has come in the flesh in the ISR. And I was real disappointed in that because I know it is come. It's present, in, uh, present imperfect. It's being performed now. And when I first got to Sephiroth, that's where I looked, right, right, that, right at that right away. <clears throat> and that got my attention, really. It says, is come. 
everyone who confesses that Yahusha is coming flesh, uh, that's present and perfect. Now, when he came out and he and, and, and he came up uh, to his in the upper room, he told him, he says, handle me. This is not just spirit. This is this is handleable. This is coming flesh. Uh, the Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans, they have a whole lot of things that etherizes it, that wants it to be just kind of just philosophical. Well, when when he talks about uh, men that are twice dead have entered into your love feast unaware, well, how can a man be twice dead? Well, it says it's a man. Well, he has to be, he has to have died once and then the judgment. Well, that makes it a different kind of view. But men that aren't twice dead, they're walking around in a body. That's where the battle is, over the flesh, over the flesh and body of the first Adam, because it, the earth was given to the children of Adam. But you got to be in a body. And so, that body is warred over. And <clears throat> anyone that's not died is still, maybe he's an enemy, but he's one of those enemies that we can intercede for because he's not died twice. And <clears throat> talk about the lake of fire. That's the second death. Well, that gets real interesting because who's our who are, who are we battling? Principalities and powers of darkness and wickedness in high places. Well, they pressure, put pressure on inhabiting physical bodies in this earth. That's in the flesh. If they, if, one of the things that a, 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 a twice dead. Uh, man that's looking for an habitation that a lot of them are in, in, infiltrated the bodies of men probably all over the world and especially in high places when it talks about this rights given to all of the chosen set apart ones to bind their sovereigns to punish the people and binds that bind their sovereigns with fetters of change who's that it's not the man it's what's controlling the man. Mm -hmm. and, and so when, when, when you bind those sovereigns with fetters of chains, what happens? You lose that sovereign over their minds and they're able to come to a hearing that they've never been able to come to before. Now, I have, a, I have a binding and loosing, if I may, in the land. Now, the, the Jewish people or the Hebrew people, if you will, in the land, they're not twice dead. But what's entered into them is, and <clears throat> that thing that ha has caused them with that Supreme Court, that wicked Supreme Court that has decided that they're going to press, that they're not going to honor the creator in the land. And as opposed as opposed to uh, the, the right wing new government. And then you get the Arab Emirates go and make their, their embassy in, uh, in that wicked wicked town that is the one that's op opposing uh, having a Elohim. 
Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. They, they opened the embassy just recently in Tel Aviv. And then all of a sudden, Netanyahu runs to the other side of the bus and says, oh, we're going to keep the status quo. Well, the sovereigns over that. I'd like to have an agreement that we loose that judgment written on the sovereigns over that land and over that people and over that wicked city, Tel Aviv, and over that wicked Supreme Court and over that wrong move by the, uh, by the prime minister that would allow the status quo. That control and that, that sovereign over that, I say, if we agree on it, it'll make a big little weapon against it. We bind that thing and, 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 and fetters of chains and move it away because it denies Yahuwah Elohim completely and, and, and ushers in, ushers in. Let me tell you what Excuse the name me. of Haman is that governs Israel. Okay. Hashem die. Yeah, I, I, I can dig that. I, I, I'm all with that. We've got a lot of that here too, and it's all over the world. And the thing is, is that if he's given his chosen ones the authority, when does it start manifesting? I believe it started to manifest when, when, when we saw the, the blood moons. I believe what we entered into was the beginning of sorrows, and that's the, the beginning of the seventh millennium and the day of Yahuwah. That's when the, doc, the, the dominion starts changing. And the one that says, handle me, this is not just spirit. This is flesh and blood. That I, uh, Anyone that says that Yahusha is coming to flesh, is of the uh, is it's not has come it's is come now yeah yeah hallelujah hallelujah in the flesh now hallelujah or and we have yeah well if you recall now, now david if you recall when he showed himself he showed himself in a glorified body exactly he showed himself in a glorified body that was pierced right his hands were pierced his side was pierced exactly. and he ate food with them exactly Hallelujah. And see, now, now we're learning about that dominion that we have in the last Adam. We're learning who we are and that that dominion that we move into and in the understanding of being circumcised in the uh, with the circumcision made without hands. That's entering into the new covenant. It, Ezekiel said, well, the, when 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 the, when the sickles put in, although not, all those that are not circumcised are going to die. Well, he's talking about that. He's talking about the circumcision made without hands and becoming the new creation in Yahushua Hamashiach. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now, if we agree on that, we'll lose, a, we'll lose the power of the last Adam over that abomination in the land over there. Do they have any choice? Not when the last Adam has overcome the uh, world. Well, I mean, now look, this is the this is a true statement. Now, this is a true statement you're talking about here, David. And this point is becoming very, very large because when you look at the kind of uh, reverence that has been given to this house that occupies the Holy Land, this house that occupies the Holy Land, I mean, this whole Kufi stuff that was started by uh, uh, John Hagee. You know, Christians united for Israel and so on and so forth. And his allegiance to Kufi became superior to his allegiance to Mashiach, such that he was willing to become Jewish. 
you know, and to abandon the cross altogether, to abandon the Mashiach, to abandon the resurrection. And, you know, as a result, we get this falsehood that comes out of that land. Now, it doesn't surprise me at all that Netanyahu would retreat from this, that, and the other thing. Netanyahu has been saying for the last 15 years, bomb, 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 Iran, right? I mean, he's been saying it nonstop. He was the motivating force behind talking the United States into the Arab Spring that resulted in the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi, which has now become a absolute nightmare for the United States and is the slave trading capital of the world. I mean, he's the one that talked him into it. He's the one that talked the United States into invading Iraq with the weapons of mass destruction nonsense. And my understanding is that it's into bombing Syria, right? And now the discussion is, and and this and Joe Biden is going right along with him, we need to bomb Iran. Well, the last thing they did, we're talking about last week, Operation Juniper 2. They put seven B-52 bombers in the air with all the F-35 fighters that Israel's bought, and they're all making approaches at Iran. Russia's response was to put hypersonic nuclear missiles in Iran. If you bomb us with your B-52s, we're going to put hypersonics into Tel Aviv and there will not be a Tel Aviv. Now, there's something about what you're saying here, David. Let's get to the cut to the spiritual aspect of this. Something Raina brought up before earlier. There is nothing other than the way, the truth, and the life of Yahushua HaMashiach. And the power that we have been given in the name Yahweh, because we are children of the name, we are children of the name, and we are called by his name. And because of this, we have the authority to say, your usurpation, your usurpation of the organic offices in the world is now over. So be it. You have usurped land that does not belong to you. You have usurped offices that do not belong to you. You have usurped names that do not belong to you. And as a consequence, Yah will strip those names from you. Yah will strip those offices from you. Yah will strip those positions from you. It's going to happen. Yah is going to pull all of this off. Let me give you just a quick example. In the state of Washington, where you live, you have a constitution which creates an organic government. There's supposed to be a governor. There's supposed to be a Supreme Court and superior courts. There's supposed to be counties. Every one of those positions is filled with a corporation doing business as the governor, as the secretary of state, as the attorney general, as the Supreme Court. They all have Dunn's numbers that you can get on Dunn and Bradstreet for every one of them. They're all corporations in lieu of the government. The whole thing is completely fraudulent. There is no organic government. It's the same thing in the United States. There is no organic government. There are corporations, that is to say, corpuses that have been created under the auspices of the Vatican holding the position of the rightful governor, the rightful senator, the rightful judge. There's nobody in those positions. There's nobody occupying those positions because they are occupied by Roman corpuses, corporations. And this is all usurpation. 
that just as Zedekiah had usurped the throne in Jerusalem prior to its collapse, just as we have had usurpers, just as Jerusalem was full of usurpers at the time of Mashiach, Herod was a usurper, Caiaphas was a usurper, they were all usurpers. The only one who wasn't a usurper was John the Baptist. Everybody else was a fake, a phony, lying about being the son of Perez, lying about being the son of Zadok, lying about being a uh, lying about being a part of the house of Israel. They weren't. They aren't. They're fakers. They're liars. They're usurpers. They're name changers. You think Netanyahu's last name is Netanyahu? His last name is Wozkowski. He was a furniture salesman in Pennsylvania. The thing, the thing statement is that uh, the dominion that he that is talked about that's given the chosen ones to bind their sovereigns with chains. Hmm. That how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring the good news, the told the told news that our Elohim Yahweh Elohim reigns. Well, that's the that's the dominion of those that have crowned. Yahusha with men, with their crown that have cast the that crown of dominion before his throne and that is the authority of the sovereign in the chosen is his is him and that word that comes out of the mouth of the priest and sovereign in the after the order of Melech Zedek or Melech Zadok if you will mm -hmm. is him that's his voice that's his breath that's what takes dominion in the earth, hallelujah. And that privilege is given to a remnant. And that remnant that has that, uh, that spirit of prophecy is going to stand on the dominions of that lying, thieving skunk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, and, I and I think we're seeing that stuff happening as we speak, David. It's happening. Yes, sir. I, mean, I agree with that. I, I, I really became, I, I want to just share one, one, one word of prophecy for you uh, before we go to Chris. And, and uh, but this is from Isaiah, Isaiah 11, right? And in Isaiah 11, of course, we talk about this. Um, let me get there just one second. Isaiah 11, of course, begins with, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Yeshai, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, right? But when we roll down here, there is a passage um, in Isaiah 11.9, Isaiah 11.9, and it reads this, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. And I'll tell you, this is I think this is happening even this year. Now, I think it's going to take time for the whole earth to get it. I think it's going to take all the way through 2024 before the whole earth gets it. But between Pesach now and 2023 and the fall feast of 2024, the name of Yahweh is going to rise over the whole of the earth. It's going amen, to rise. Amen. Hallelujah. It's going to cover the earth like a sea. And everyone will have the knowledge of Yahweh because what is taking place right now is you look out on the world and people are now starting to wake up. Or are you trying to tell us that the whole pandemic was a genocide against the whole world? Yes. 
Is it now being made obvious with 1,800 excess deaths a week in Australia, 1,600 excess deaths a week in the UK, 1,500 excess deaths a week in the United States? Yes, as was the darkness that came over Mitzrayim, where the scripture, the Torah portion said, not one household was free from the death that had come upon them. Not one household. So we see this same spirit that has come over the whole earth. And people are going to look at this and say, wait a minute. These were all the institutions that we have trusted in since the close of World War II. We trusted in medical science, a false god. We trusted in our government, a false god. We trusted in democracy, a demon, a demon. Let me tell you how bad the demon of democracy is, okay? Thou shalt have, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, let's take a vote on that. We took a vote on that. We can have other gods in front of you. Thou shalt not steal. We took a vote on that. And there's exceptions to thou shalt not steal. We can steal from you under the following circumstances. Why? Because we took a vote on it. We took a vote on that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, let's take a vote on that and find out if that's true. There's no taking a vote on the word of Yah. There's no, when you take a vote and you claim that your vote supersedes scripture, I'm not going to scream. Exactly. That's exactly right. And that needs to the heat comes in. Turn the heat up on that. Praise you. Praise you. We're coming to the authority that's of the anointing. And we're learning about it. And we're learning about it fast. And, and it's, your that's get, it's your oil that's given it to us. Not flesh and blood. Hallelujah. Allah. Not flesh and blood. Hallelujah. Yeah. And you know, when you hallelujah. talk about this, so when you talk about Israel and its, its Supreme Court, if you go to Israel, they'll tell you we are the purest democracy in the world. Yeah, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a demon. It is Hashem Dai. It is, and 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 we and we're learning about the authority of the new creation that's in the Master, that is crowned with our crown, that is our crown is before His throne. He's crowned with many crowns. And he's the head of the assembly after the order uh, order of Melik Zadok. I like to say that like, that way. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I didn't think you did. I listened to you. So anyway, hey, thanks for the, uh, the liberty, brother. You have awesome. Shalom, shalom. Shabbat shalom. Yeah, thank you, David. I made a very good word today. Thank you, brother. Shabbat shalom. Okay. Christopher, how are you, brother? Shalom, Doc. Very well. I... I, I... David, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Actually, in fact, you know, Doc, I must just say, I love this meeting so much. It's just like so many nuggets come out of it. And it's just beautiful. And um, it's nice to hear Raina as well. Anyway, um, I just, I, I want to go through the Torah portion a little bit uh, for, in the Bessara. Because yeah, that's exactly what... I'm, it's I'm exactly gonna take, I'm gonna what for just a minute. So I'm going to step out for just a minute while you take this, okay? Oh, okay. okay. All right. Um, so, uh, in the Besorah, David, you know, this is poignant to exactly what you were saying. Um, 
And I'm going to read this a little bit because there's, there's much to talk about here. Uh, so it starts in uh, the Besorah, the uh, Gospel of Luke. Uh, now in uh, chapter 7. Now when he had ended all the sayings in the audience of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was a dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Yahusha, he sent unto, his, uh, and sent unto him his, uh, the elders of the Yahudim, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Yahusha, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. And that he loves our nation. So he's talking about now the centurion. He loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue, which is very important because he has a guy who's a centurion who loves Yasharel. He loves uh, not, not just the people, he's loving the culture. He's loving the word. And I think that's where it comes down to. And when Yahusha went with them uh, and and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends to him, saying unto him, Adonai, trouble not yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto you, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Yahusha heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned about, and he said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great belief, no, not in Yasharel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole. That had been strict. Okay, so now that's what you're talking about, David. You know, you, you, we we're talking about here an authority from Yah. We're not talking about here an authority from democracy. No, we're talking about a theocracy. We're talking yes. about Yah rules, right? Yah, and 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 for us, the theocracy is that Yah rules in our hearts. Exactly. In our minds, it's we are of a different kingdom. We are being we are being redeemed into a heavenly kingdom, and we have heavenly authority. Although we also have heavenly um, precepts, which we've got to understand in our mind. Exactly, and He's changing us. He's changing us to, to, to be uh, allow Him to be all in all in us. He's, he's coming into us and he's speaking through us and he's given us his anointing to, uh, to come into the position of establishing the throne of Yahusha on the earth, putting all his enemies under his feet, under his feet. Hallelujah. And then and then he's going to come and put his foot on the Mount of Olives. Hallelujah. And, and, and all the earth will be under his dominion. Praise you. And they get, we're coming into that now, hallelujah, and we're and I, I'm so excited about it, I can't. <laughs> well, you're excited that it's infectious. Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I want to I want to just um, I want to contrast that with the Pharisees. So here we go to verse uh, 
verse 27 of, of Luke 7. It says, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare the way before you. So John the Baptist, right? John the Mercer, which, as Dr. P says, uh, say, has just said, was not the usurper. And it says, for say unto you, among these that are born of woman, there is not such a great prophet that you who can know Mercer. But he that is least in the kingdom of Yahweh is greater than he. And I don't want to get into that. That's another discussion. And all the people that heard him and the publicans, Yahweh justified, being immersed with the immersion of Yahukunan. But the Pharisee and the lawyers rejected the counsel of Yahweh against themselves, being not immersed of him. Well, there we go. They didn't believe the word. They don't believe what they're supposed to believe, right? So that's the rejection of the Pharisee. And that's like the to... churches of the today. The same thing's happening in the churches today. Right. right. That's, that's that false authority that has taken authority over these men that are not twice dead. They're still in the bite of the line because they haven't died physically. And that right. makes them, that makes them, uh, accessible to be blessing our enemies it's the right. things that entered into them that we we can take dominion over and and loose them from that captivity to where they can get uh, convicted and repent and come into the newness of life and and be circumcised with the circumcision made without hands hallelujah anyway I, I got excited in many no that's fine so 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 the point is that, look what it says here to, to the church, uh, to, the, to the angel of the fallout assembly in Philadelphia. In uh, Revelations 3.10, it says, Because you have guarded the word of my patience, I will also guard you from the hour of calamity. <laughs> you know, isn't that beautiful? We guard the word within our hearts and he guards us. The Yashareli had light. Why did they have light in Mitzrayim? They had light because Yah. Oh, anyway, David, I'm going to leave that up to you. Chris. <laughs> oh, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. Hey, Chris. Rainer. Loved it. Chris. Yes, Sister Raina. Okay. When we speak the uh, Roman and the Greek words, it loses the whole meaning because in Hebrew it's supposed to be the congregation the translation of oh, I'm going to use the Hebrew words the shul or the synagogue okay those are not what Yah said we are the congregation hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah, and it Reina. loses a lot of its power and the meaning. Hallelujah, Reina. But you know, the, yeah. the, the fact the sorry, Doc. Praise uh, yeah. the, the, the fact that the centurion built them a synagogue, right? In other words, yeah. he built them a house of worship. Because the synagogue was of a conviction in his heart that this Yah that they are worshiping is better than these others that I see. And, you know, I mean, obviously this man has been around. Okay. So he well, had a conviction in his heart. So he was soft in his heart. He was made. I mean, Yah does that. And it's not, it's not his, his doing. It's Yah's doing that does that. 
Right. So to me, you... when I when I started reading the Brit Halasha, okay, Yahusha uh, showed me that um, even like uh, in Cuba, when my parents uh, got together, it was in in a home. It wasn't a building. It was it was a congregation. It was not a. Um... Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I don't know if anybody's heard about the organic church movement. This is something that we were in quite a long time ago. And, and, and this is true. You got to gather in the homes. The, the, the place of worship must be in walking distance of your house. It mustn't be, oh no, we got to drive to the other side of town to go and see this big building and this worship team, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to get into that though, because that's another discussion and we're going to be carrying on for quite a while. I just want to get through this, if you don't mind, because this is quite interesting, because the centurion recognizes the authority, and the authority is not democracy. This is a theocracy, and this is led by Yahweh himself, and if Yahweh is true to his word, which the Pharisee here don't even believe, then he is true to keep you in the time of calamity. He is true to give you light in the time of darkness. He is true to give you no grasshoppers eating your crop so that you can feed your family and your stock. And he will not kill your stock and he will not kill your firstborn and he will not kill the first. Uh, he will not kill any of your of your stock or your or your or your fruit of your of your lands. So I want to go back then with this knowledge to Exodus, which we've read and and chapter 12. And the last sentence, 51, and it came to pass the selfsame day that Yahweh did bring the children of Yisrael out of the land of Mitzrayim by their armies. Well, there we go. By their armies? What does that mean? It means that they were in garrisons. They were, in, in, they were in, put into an into a army kind of regiment so that there would be order. It's very important to understand it's Yah's order, not man's order. Although, I mean, Jethro is the one that came to Moshe and said, listen, you can't do all this stuff. You better get you know, your stuff into order. <laughs> Sorry, Doc. Okay. So, so, um, so then I, wanna, then I, I just want to, I just want to, I'm getting a feedback. Uh, anyway. Okay. So I, I, um, I want to go back then to, uh, Chapter 12, because I think this, this is quite an interesting point, and, it, and it's, this is only wide uh, interpretation. This is not doctrine. This is just like revelational kind of stuff that, that is beautiful to me. And, you know, it might not be to others, but I just want to share this. Because we were talking previously about the bread, and the bread was the word and the baker was killed uh, uh, because uh, there were stones in the bread. So, you know, we can, we can sort of make an assumption. Okay, the bread is Yahweh or Yahusha, and he is made flesh, and he's dwelt amongst us. Well, don't put a stumbling block between you and the word. And now, since we've talked about the word a bit, I want to come back to um, uh, Exodus 12 and verse 34. And it says, And the people took eth their dough, eth, right, the aleph tav, dough, before it was leavened, before it had shametz, before it had 
lies before it was expanded and it had a whole lot of air in it, before it had a worship team with lights and smoke and mirrors. And there and and the knee troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. Now, to me, that's interesting because when you look at an army, who do you recognize in the army if it's not by the shoulders of the person who's carrying the pips or the, the badges or whatever they've got on their shoulders? You realize, oh, well, this guy here is a general, or this guy here is a corporal. Or whatever, whatever army and 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 uh, whatever titles they have. So the point is that what do we, as believers, have upon our shoulders? Is it unleavened bread? Is it the unadulterated truth of the word? Or is it our own little um, man-made laws and traditions that we've added to this word? to make it rise, to make it bigger than what it is, to make it more complicated, to make it um, full of sin? Or is it just unadulterated word, which is Yahusha Mashiach? And are we carrying that? And can people see, wow, this guy or this lady has something that I love. And then we can be like a centurion from another nation saying, you know what, I like this that these guys have, and can I be part of it? And I think, you know, that's all that I basically wanted to say today. There's, there's, there's too much else. But, yeah, that's that's what I got. And, uh, yeah, so I, I just found it very interesting that, David, last week as well, you were talking, and and uh, what I was going to say also added to what you said as well. What so we have on you. our shoulders, what we have on our shoulders is his yoke. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Hallelujah, Allah. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He said, Hallelujah, Allah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and David, you mentioned another thing. You mentioned blessed is the feet of he. Well, Doctor P can carry on, but I mean, Shalomai is Shalomai here is breaking this alabaster box of spikenard oil on Yahusha's feet, right? So who cool. is the firstborn among brethren? Who is the redeemer? Who is the one that brings the good news? You know, him first, we second. Hallelujah. Well, great word, Chris. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. And thank you, David, for being so excited in Yah this morning. I see the rock is kind of bouncing around inside of you, which is fantastic. We're just uh, enjoying the daylight side of it. Okay. Doug Fassett, how are you, brother? Oh, I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, shalom. Shalom. Uh, this is a little different, but uh, I, I was watching the dig on Thursday, and I was thinking to myself, boy, do I want to join in? Because... Everything that you guys were talking about, I was there to witness. So uh, you were talking about uh, the uh, Johnson Island, uh, 1962 in the summer. Yeah. Well, uh, after we got back from um, Vietnam and uh, and taking troop uh, Marines to uh, Thailand in uh, the spring of 62, we came back to Pearl Harbor. 
And being an amateur radio operator, I talked to the communications officer when I found out that there was going to be a high altitude explosion over Johnson Island, that if I should contact somebody at a distance and see what the signal propagation was. So it was in the evening. I, I know it was evening because I know what I saw. And I had on the radio on, on the CW, I had contacted a, an amateur uh, that had a club station. By the way, his name was Yuri. His, he was in Vladivostok. Vladivostok. Yeah. And uh, I told him that there was going to be the uh, uh, bomb blast and that uh, we should uh, both put, a, put down our keys and measure each other's signal to give a report. And when the bomb went off, I could see it. It was a gigantic, bright green flash in the sky, very high up in the sky, bright green. And uh, held down my key and he held down his and I wrote down the signal variances and the time and so on like that for about 30 seconds. And then we both gave each other the report. So I thought that was, uh, that was interesting. So I did see that. So yeah, I another eyewitness. <clears throat> it's great to hear from you on this, Doug, an eyewitness to this high altitude blasting that was going on. You know, it's just amazing to me that, that our country was so reckless. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just so reckless to be doing that kind of thing. Well, let's do a high altitude blast and see what happens if we shower the whole world with radiation for a while, you know. And did you see uh, anomalies in the radio wave? Well, there was some signal dropouts here and there, not, not, not real big, because Johnson Island was to the southwest, and of course, Vladivostok was uh, northwest of us in Hawaii. Right. So it didn't affect it too much there. I'm sure if I'd have been talking to somebody in Australia, it might have been different, but I wasn't able to contact anybody in Australia. But I figured wow. the Russians would be good. I, I re did the report and I turned it into a communications officer and I got a letter of thanks. Well, there you go. <laughs> so yeah. that, that was that. But, you know, well, I want to give you a letter of thanks now because you were dealing with ham radio at that time, correct? Right. Yeah, which gives you an indication that ham radio signal may survive even, uh, you know, uh, a nuclear war. We may still be able to have ham radio communications. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, also in 69, I was uh, a quality assurance of each control that... Uh, manufactured the uh, data storage system for the Apollo. And I, uh, I didn't do the Apollo 11, but I did the uh, later Apollo ones. Yeah, interesting. Now, did you ever meet any of the astronauts? No, I didn't meet any of the astronauts, but uh, the, uh, I did meet a lot of government representatives from uh, 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 North American Rockwell that was the prime contractor and then uh, then uh, the DGAS department of uh, whatever that stood for, I don't remember anymore. But uh, it was it was interesting. That was in California, of course.
and uh, yeah. and uh, watching watching that on TV in 1969, I really thought it was real. Of course, because we were very meticulous with you know the testing of 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 the uh, recorder. It was a reel to reel tape recorder, is what the data storage system was, and it recorded data for eight hours straight. And then it played it back. Um, and uh, we did multiple recording playback sessions over a weekend. Made a fortune doing that because I was salary. So start on Friday, you get straight time after four o'clock, your, your time and a half after midnight, your double time. And of course, Saturday is time and a half. And then everything else until Monday morning is double time. So you get a huge paycheck. So... Yeah, I yeah, that's the way we used to work. I used to work up here as a longshoreman, and uh, our gig we would we'd go to work at seven o'clock and we'd work regular time until three o'clock, and then it would go time and a half from three o'clock until six o'clock, then it would go double time from six to midnight, and if the ship still needed to be unloaded from midnight to seven a.m. was triple time. And at that point, we would get kicked off the ships because the so-called books would come in, the journeymen. The only time they worked was when there was triple time. <laughs> this, this was back in the early 70s, and they were making 36 bucks an hour. So it was pretty good money. you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. That's, that, is, that, is, uh, that is very, very interesting, Doug, that your information, you know, of course, talking with people that like we were talking with John Barr, for instance, about his uh, familiarity with what was going on with the projects. You know, there's there's no question that there's a certain amount of reality that happened at NASA. There's a certain amount of reality. I mean, you know, you look at those rockets, you look at the space shuttles and so forth. You know that there was stuff going up in the air. What happened after they got out of sight is another question. But we do know that something went up in the air and it was something quite large. And uh, so... Anyway, a great discussion point, and it's too bad I didn't know that, Doug. About you, we'd we'd had you on the show. No, and, I, I, I I thought about it, and I thought the whole thing will just deteriorate into a. Did you know? Uh, I used to, and and so on. That uh, you know, because there there's there is so much that we had in Kahneman. Of course, there was the code searching, and and the, and you using the code finder that uh, that the other John had. And uh, and I thought that was that was interesting because I I certainly do that as you know, oh, yeah. and but, uh, I mean everything has just the I watched the I watched the launch the 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 first steps on the moon on July the twentieth supposedly, and uh, I was there with with my first wife, and she was. Uh, Nine months pregnant at the time. Oh wow! And uh, after after we were leaving, this was at my parents' house. After we, we were leaving, uh, she decided to be like the astronauts and jump off the front porch, and she did. Four days later, on her twenty-first birthday, uh, our daughter, firstborn daughter. Andrea Jean was born dead, and the doctor told me that the, the placenta had pulled away about four days prior. Oh man! Oh, 
Sadness, 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 Doug. That was was, uh, something that, um, and a month later. uh, How did your your wife deal with that? uh, Was that a crash and burn for her? It was. Uh, She was in in absolute denial. I ended up, uh, we ended up getting a divorce. Um, It, um, she looked and acted like she was nine months pregnant for for the rest of the time that we were married. Oh man, she just, she really carried a burden. And I'll tell you, you know, and sometimes when we see these kinds of burden, Doug, let me just speak to this for a minute. Because again, we don't see uh, the hand of Yah on that, but yet the hand of Yah is present because these kinds of things come into our life, dramatic, traumatic events. They come into our life and may Yah protect us from them even now. But when they do, there's reasons for it. And uh, as difficult, I mean, the heart is just wrenched, you know, practically ripped out of your chest from what's from what's there. But we fail to recognize that this world belongs to Yah. It doesn't belong to us. And, uh, and you know, and, and in his mind, he sees this as a pass-through. We come through here and we go to there. We see this as all there is, life and death. You know, when you're in the womb, a lot of babies think that's all there is. They're not coming out of that womb because they don't know what's out there, right? And so some kids don't want to come out of the womb. They're like, I'm not coming out. I don't want to go. You know, some kids know that there's something out there. They want to see it. We know there's something after this life. We know this. And so as a consequence, we know we're passing through, we're passing through this test. But because we're passing through it, Yah does not see life and death the same way we do. We see the the loss of life and break down weeping and mourning with the loss of life. And But Yah sees something entirely different. And, you know, many of the children, for instance, uh, you know, uh, some, some people have said this, that the children that are aborted, their souls nonetheless are in heaven. I mean, their souls are, you know, they, they were perfect without sin. So let us, you know, a, we, you know, we need to take comfort where we can find comfort and solace where we can find solace. And I feel sorry for your first wife. I mean, she must have, you know, she had to deny it. Who knows? She may be still in denial. I don't know. But I don't know either. Uh, I haven't, uh, haven't spoken to her since uh, 1973. So. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's possible that, the one thing she needs to hear, even now, is the forgiveness of Yah. She needs to hear that. She made a mistake. I don't know about you, Doug, but in the 70s, I was completely free of mistakes. I didn't make any mistakes at all, you know, except yeah. for that one. Right? <laughs> except for that one. Well, you know? I, made, I made plenty, as you know. And um, my father, at when I was younger, he was not a was not a, uh, he was always a good person, but he was not, certainly not uh, at all uh, what, you, what I would have called at that time a Christian. He later became, and he was, and he would, he would, at first he tried to tell me, and like a horse leading to water, yes, you can do that, but I wasn't drinking any of it. I knew he was right, but I wasn't buying any of it. But 
every time I did something wrong that I felt bad about, he didn't say anything, but I could see it in his eyes. And it, in, in the end, after he finally passed in 84, uh, I came to realize that I want to be like him. And that was, that was uh, the motiv motivation uh, primarily. But it, it took a long time for me to come out of it. I mean, it wasn't until 2008, really, that we really totally came out of it. So that's a tremendous amount of time in between. It kept me alive for it. Yeah, he kept you alive for it. And that's something that for some of us, we all say the same thing, right? We've been kept alive. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many of my friends died when I was a teenager. Yeah. And continued to die throughout my lifetime. But Yah kept me alive and he kept me alive for such a time as this. He kept you alive for such a time as this. And, you know, and the call out in 2008, guess what? You were one of those stalks of wheat that was all over the crop. You know, you were all over the field. But ultimately, in 2008, he called you into the wheat that you are. And, uh, you know, and now the wheat is ripening. So let's praise Yah and give him thanks where we can. Hey, amen. Well, we kind of think it's the fish. And there is a there is five crops and there's two fish. That makes the seven. I think there's the that. There's fish. I think everybody here is a fish. And the fish are taken any time he wants because there's no harvest season for fishing. Yeah, it's a good point. Although I'll tell you, if you're fishing salmon, you have to wait for them to run. Oh, yeah. You have to wait for them to come up, come up the rivers. But, but anyway, well, Doug, well, listen, thank you, brother. Okay. Thank you. Shalom. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Lois. Hi, Lois. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I have 4% on my battery, so I'll talk fast. I want to go back to the Torah portion because what struck with me as I was reading it was how did they, how were they supposed to keep that ordinance, that commandment that starts about 11 or 10? It says, and thou shall set apart, 12 says, set apart unto the Lord or yeah, I know I don't like that word either. Uh, and uh, and then set apart their children. So they were, they were to do it. So thoughts that crossed my mind, and then you can speak to them, were um, the firstborn were to be set apart. There was to be a temple offering when the babies were born. The firstborn gets the blessing. And the firstborn probably were the children that were taught in the Torah. Would that be how they would have redeemed them? Would that have been part of the redeeming of those children? Just that they had the blessing, they had the teaching. It's a question. It's a question. That's it's pretty question. good, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, you know, I think when we talk about redeeming the children at that time, the redemption, you know, if you look elsewhere in the Torah, there was some uh, money changed, right? There was money changed so that you would redeem if you couldn't redeem. Like, for instance, 
One of the passages up here says that if you have a firstborn ass, you redeem it with a lamb. And the reason being is that uh, that they were, you know, the the asses of actually a GMO. It can't have children. It's it's a half breed, right? And then it becomes a, a something that cannot produce further. And so you had um, the idea that there was redemption. And there's even a passage that talks about if you can't sacrifice a lamb or you can't sacrifice a bull, then you make an offering of money in lieu of that bull. So, I mean, this is where I think the rabbis get the idea that you would be redeemed, that this child would be redeemed in money. But I don't think that's the way the child is being redeemed. I think the child in this case is being redeemed in that they are put into the service of Yah specifically. In other words, the firstborn is not going to be, because usually what would happen in a family, right, is you would have children and the children are going to work, particularly in an agricultural family. The children are going to be your shepherds. Children are going to be your farmers. The children are going to be those who feed the cattle or feed the sheep, you know, gather the, you know what I'm talking about? They work around the family farm. But the first one to be redeemed would be a child who would be committed to the service of the tabernacle, committed to the service of Yah. I, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Is that specifically said? Uh, no, that's not what's specifically said. Well, I guess that was why I thought it would be that they would be, that, that, that they would be, get the blessing. And, and so that would be part of how they were taught back then. We would do it different now. We would dedicate now, but back then, and then they would do the, they would be taught in the Torah. They would be raised up in the Torah because they were the firstborn. It was the just a thought. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure exactly. I mean, like, you know, Raina mentioned it before. Now we're redeemed in Mashiach. That's how we're redeemed. And were they redeemed in a mikvah? I don't think so. It doesn't specify that. So I'm not exactly sure how they redeemed them at the time of Moshe. How the time of and I mean, you know, maybe some other people have some ideas on this. Um, it, it just strikes me that. Uh, anyway, Lord, I'm going to thank you for. Somebody has something on this. Um, can I just quickly say something? Sure, Catherine, go ahead. Um, I've been trying to get out of the. Hello. Go ahead. I've been trying to get hold of Lois. Um, I did a bit of research on the name for her. I'm not going to go into details, but can you tell her it's Argentine Jewish? Okay. I'll let, I think Lois is hearing you, Catherine. Good. But okay, then. You could, you could convey that message to her in private chat. Yeah, I, I did try, but I don't think she saw it. And then I've been kept getting cut out because of Wi-Fi and different things. I think I can hear you now because I couldn't. I was trying to switch computers right in the middle um, of talking. So what did you say, Karen? I mean, Catherine? Um, the name you were searching for is Argentine Jewish. Okay, thank you. Okay. I won't say anything because it's only up to you, but smile. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So with that, okay. thank you for thank you for only your question, Lois. We're just bringing just a question. <laughs> you really got me on that one. I'll tell you what. Good for you. All right. Let's go to let's go to Mia. Mia. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? 
Very good. Thank you for a wonderful chat. It, this has been a good night. Um, I actually changed my my original question, but um, how do you how do you view the good and the bad fig tree parable? Do you do you? We were talking about the Zionist modern state of Israel. Do you think that is the bad fig tree? What's uh, your view on that? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a very good. This is a very good. Now let me ask you a question, Mia. Where are you from? From Finland. Oh, you're in Finland. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I'm, that gives me an idea of how late it is there. Yeah. You're after midnight. Yeah, it is late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about the bad fig tree, you know, every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree, this does have an implication of his own vine. It's really kind of his own religion, if you will, and his own fig tree is his own nation. And when you look at the fig tree, it, the question is, is the fig tree that is currently the nation of Israel producing fruit? Is it producing fruit? And the answer is, no, it isn't. It's not producing any fruit at all. I mean, the, maybe the evangelism into Israel is producing some fruit. And again, I don't want to condemn everybody in Israel, but the only way that there is any, but when you talk about people coming into the salvation of Mashiach, if you do that publicly in Israel, you know, you're, you're labeled a missionary, you're cast out. They stop renting to you. Uh, you know, you have, you have to, you know, you could be disowned by your family. I mean, on and on and on the stories go. And if you think there isn't persecution in Israel for believers, you're dead wrong. Particularly in the city of Ashdod, where there are radicals down there. Of, you know, I met a family. They were Russian immigrants into Israel. And the wife was, could prove uh, Russian Jewish heritage. They were from St. Petersburg. And the husband was just Russian, but he loved living in Israel because he liked the warmth and the temperature and the beaches and so forth. And he liked serving in the IDF. So he was actually the security guard for this kibbutz called Nahal Oz, which was down on the Gaza Strip. And uh, they lived in a, literally in a bunker. It was a, it was a 12 inch thick walls. And this is where the family lived. Well, the boy, they were the Orthodox Christians. And the boy wanted to play tennis. So in order to play tennis, he would have to go out to the crossroads and catch a bus. And then the bus would take him up to Ashdod where he could study. Well, one day the Jews found out he was Orthodox. He was 13 years old at the time. The Jews found out he was Orthodox Christian. And they tried to beat him to death. And he ended up in a coma for a month in a hospital at 13 years old. Right? because they found out he was Christian. So anybody who thinks that there isn't Christian persecution in, in Israel doesn't know Israel. They don't know the truth about Israel. And so is there any fruit coming off the tree that we call modern day Israel? The answer is no, there isn't. There isn't any fruit mm -hmm. coming off that tree. Mm -hmm. And so what happens? Mashiach says, cut it down. And the disciples come to him and say, but well, before you do that, let's dung the tree first, fertilize the tree and see if there's gonna be any fruit. Well, I think this has happened, but now you're talking about you're talking about a nation that really, when when the nation could come out, you know, yesterday was Holocaust Memorial Day, and Netanyahu holds up the sign and says, "We remember, we remember." Two days after he put three hundred thousand rounds of ammunition in Ukraine, in a Ukraine that's being run by the heirs of. The, the Banderites, 
who were responsible for killing almost 1 million Jews in Ukraine. It's a very difficult issue. You can't do that. Can't do that. And he needs to have some discernment and he has none. He has none. So as a consequence, and I I just want to say this about Finland. I think Finland is in a situation right now that the hand of Yah is protecting Finland and the hand of Yah is protecting Sweden. And the fact that, and and it looks like the hand of Yah is also protecting Denmark. (laughs) Pardon my laughing. But this... (laughs) This fellow who runs around burning the Quran, you know, he's burning the he burned the Quran in Sweden. Now he just burned the Quran in Copenhagen. Well, that is ticking Turkey off to beat the band, and Turkey's like, well, if you're going to burn the Quran, then you're not getting into NATO. Consider it a blessing. Consider it a blessing. Now, you know, Finland has done some things that number one has has garnered respect from Russia because we know that Finland has held its own over the years. And I believe that Finland will continue to hold its own. And I believe with proper leadership in Finland, an understanding can be had between Finland and Russia that will once again protect that border. And you know that between the border between there at St. Petersburg coming into Finland is pretty much an open border. There's a lot of interface between Finns and Russians in that, in that area, you know. Yeah, the whole thing is the whole thing is going to be restored as soon as this conflagration is over here. This little thing is over. Yeah, and, but uh, that. Tr- go ahead. Sorry, I was just about to say that they are tracking us to NATO. Like the um, the people don't want their well, not all, but uh, I think the president is is pushing it hard, and and the Congress and. Our government, I mean, and um, they're also sending those, um, how do you call those, we- weaponry machines into Ukraine from Finland. Those, uh, what's that, tanks. Yeah, tanks, the word. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens because Russia has also uh, given a warning to those countries who will send those tanks to Ukraine. So Finland is one of those. So so please pray for us. Yeah, I, yeah. I will do that. I will do that. Yeah, and I am yeah. going to pray. That it's going to be, <clears throat> even though these warnings are being issued, you know, mm. the um, uh, right now everybody is being drugged along by the snake. Quite frankly, yeah, there's a serpent yeah. up there, and that serpent is dragging everybody along. And I'll tell you, mm. that serpent, uh, well, well, it comes out of my country, not your country. And uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so, with that being said. I am going to continue to pray because the last thing we want to see happen is the destruction of Europe. I mean, nobody needs to go back to where it was in World War II. Nobody needs to do that. You know, nobody, nobody needs to do that. We don't need to do that. We need something yeah. else. We need yeah. Yah. And yeah. I do think that um, as the name of Yah arises, so will his sanctity arise. So will his wings arise over those nations. And, uh, you know, so it's a curious world in which we live right now. But the sins of the Satanists are now in full view of the whole world. Now everybody's seeing them. They're going, hmm. They they must have been telling the truth when they said that Joe Biden was a rapist and a murderer. They must have been telling the truth about Hunter Biden and his kickbacks in Ukraine. They must have been telling the truth about Hillary Clinton and her sins. Yeah, they must have been. Well, 
now that they're being seen and people are start, starting to look and go, you know, I didn't want to believe this. I didn't want to believe this. But now it's really hard to avoid. And now that and now you can see because Yah's hand of provision is off. It's like, I'm not going to bless you guys anymore. Here, we'll just take that blessing away and let's just show the world who you truly are. Wow. Wow. And as the world sees, the name of Yah will rise up like water over the whole earth. It will cover the whole earth. The whole earth will be full of the knowledge of Yah. Amen. So we talk about the bad fig tree. I do think that, uh, you know, I do, I do not have, I have very little belief that the people that hold the land of Israel are the true house of Judah. Mm -hmm. okay? I, I, there may be some there. No. There may be quite a few there. But as generally speaking, I don't believe it. I believe they are converts to the religion of Judaism, yes, yes. not of the house of Judah. Yes. And that the true tribes are scattered out throughout Europe. They're scattered out throughout North and South America. They're scattered all over the earth. Mm -hmm. And that this conference, this group that has conferenced themselves in the Holy Land, claiming that it belongs to them, are denying the true house of Israel from entering in to the Holy Land. You can't come okay. here because it's only for us. Yeah. And as yeah, a consequence, sorry, Scripture says they oh, have seven. Go ahead. I, I'm listening. Go ahead, Mia. Let, sorry. Let, I, <laughs> yeah, actually, you answered my question because I was just about to ask, what do you think is the main purpose of the conspiracy? Uh, but you just said it. And um, I actually have a quick question. May I ask from the scriptures for in, in Jeremiah 8, it mentions, I have never seen this before. I actually found it today. It says that there's a false pen on the sofrim uh sorry the false pen of the sofrim has worked falsely what do you think this means it means that the scribes mm. lied about in scripture okay now i can tell you when we talk about this lying in scripture like talmud do you mean talmud oh the talmud's part of it but they actually okay. falsified they also actually falsified scripture too they falsified it All right. now let me give you an example if, if you look at scripture, when you look at the Hebrew, you're going to see that the Hebrew in most texts is what they call Masoretic Hebrew. And Masoretic Hebrew features what's called Nikudot. And Nikudot are the vowel sounds. Okay. They're the vowel sounds. Let me see if I can show you an example. Uh, do you I even okay, have... Sir. I don't have it. I'll, I'll show you an example here in just a second. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about the lying pen of the scribes, you're talking about uh, you're talking about this nikudot. I mean, nikudot is just part of it. It's not the only lying pen. Okay? okay. Like, let me give you an example. The Book of Ezekiel. The Book of Ezekiel. The scribes did not want the Book of Ezekiel in Scripture. They didn't want it there. They hated it. Why do you hate Ezekiel? Because Ezekiel contradicts Moshe. And because Ezekiel contradicts Moshe, then we can't have Ezekiel in the book. Well, we have to admit it because it's part of the doctrine that's coming at us that we have to admit Ezekiel. Okay. Now let me, I'm going I'm to go ahead and share Esword here so we can see here and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Okay. So we have to admit, we have to admit Ezekiel. 
okay, we'll put it out of order then. So they completely distorted Ezekiel and put it completely out of order. It's completely out of order. You can read it and see it for, see it for yourself. We have a copy of Ezekiel in order on the website. Now, I'm going to show you something here. You're going to see, now, when you look here, you can see, you can see the e-sword here. You see that all right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you look, you're going to see here, you see this word that is set out like this. So here are, here are the letters in the text. Now, these letters appeared in the text before the Masorites. The Masorites didn't show up until the 8th century AD. Even though Nehemiah Gordon likes to say, oh, we've got proof that they were here in the 5th century. Okay, they were here in the 5th century, but they weren't here before Mashiach. Okay, so you see this name. This is Yahusha, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is how the name appeared in the text right on up until we get to the Masorites. Then the Masorites say, oh, no, 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 no. Let's put a shva here. We'll put a shva there, which, by the way, is almost tantamount to blasphemy. It's so bad. And then we're going to put, um, we're going to put in this case, well, you can't see it here, but there's actually a shurig here. This denotes this as a shin. And then we have a form of the segel here and a patak here. Okay, mm -hmm. so what they try to tell you is, and then, of course, this thing right here, which is a total lie, okay? This is just a flat lie. And, in fact, this whole Strong's entry here is a big, fat lie. They tell you, well, this word here, which this word would be, this, this would, would be pronounced Yehusha'ah. Yahusha'a, That would be how this is pronounced. Not Yeshua, but Yahusha'a. Okay? Oh, well, this is Yahushua. Well, I'm sorry, there's no Bob here. And in fact, when you look up the word Yahushua, you'll find that it only appears twice in the Tanakh. Twice. This one here, 189 times. And it shows up not as their construct with these vowel sounds, because let, let, me, let, me, let me share with you why this is so anathema. When you, when, hold on a minute, let me get this erased around this side. When you put a, a shma, when you put a shva under the yod, you convert this to a prefix. This is what's so radical about this whole construct from the Masorites. You're going to put a shva under here like this, which means this becomes yah. You have struck through the name of yah. Hmm. yod hey is the name of yah. How dare you? How dare you put a shva on that yod? How dare you? It's striking through the name of Yah. Oh, well, we're going to satisfy our Yiddish appetite for the way we pronounce it. Well, I don't care what your Yiddish appetite is. You don't have the right to put a shva under the yod. 
So it's very clear, and you can see it actually from Genesis 1-3, that this word here is not a prefix, but is the name Yah. And in fact, if you look at the name Husha that was given to Joshua initially, his name was Husha, then his name was Husha, and then Moshe said, you shall no longer be Husha, but Yah Husha. Hmm. Not Yah Husha, or Hesha, or Yahushaya, or whatever they want to say it was. The first part of the name is Yah. So by, by somebody putting two dots down there, they've changed the meaning of the word. They've changed the manuscript. They've changed it. They changed it. They changed it. Do you see it? Yeah. They changed it. So, and then you can see very clearly about how they're just tromping all over the name. The Strong's Concordance just tromps on it. Why don't you admit that it is Yahusha? Because we're never going to admit that. We're going to keep that secret. We're not telling you ever. We're not going to tell you that. Right? It's just like the name Yasharel. Yasharel is another big fat lie that they tell you. Oh, that's Israel. Yeah. Look, let, let me show you. Let me show you here. Just a second. I know I'm getting carried away, but look, look <laughs> at this. Let's just take this out. Okay. So when you look at, when you look at Yasharel, it's another, it's another name that you see. First of all, we start with this these letters here, okay? Okay, now I can tell you right now that in the English, this is Jasher, but in the Hebrew, they'll tell you that this is Yashar. We have no problem telling you that. That's Yashar. Why is it Yashar? Because that's Yod, Shin, Resh, Yashar. Okay, Yod Shin Resh. All right, now let's let's add the ale suffix that you find like Gabriel, Uriel, Penuel, Ezekiel, so on and so forth, Zerubbabel. Let's add the L ending. Oh, okay, let's add the L ending. Okay, so we'll add the L ending. Ah, uh, Israel, yeah. This is clearly Yashar L. Oh, it isn't, it's Israel. It's Israel. <laughs> Why? Because we changed it because we wanted to change it. So this is just one way that you see the line pen of the scribes, but it's not the only way. Believe me, it's not the only way. So, Dr. Brad, Pigeon. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. Yeah. How about how they've, they've literally literally ruined his name with Hova? Yehovah is saying, I am who is ruined and destruction. You know, like yeah. Yeshua, they are crying out or I'm blotted out. I mean, everything is just absolute blasphemy, just as bad as any other religion has done to the name. I totally agree with that, Rob. And in fact, I was looking at this creation of Shua uh, to begin with and the whole idea of and, and this this I could I could never understand. Why do people have the need to add the Shua to the name of Yahusha? Why do they, you know, it's like, I really want to say Yahushua, but I have to say Yeshua, or I have to say Yahshua, but I can't say Yahushua because that just doesn't fit. Why do they have to add the name Shua? 
because the Shua is an absolute destruction. It's absolute destruction. And when you look at the and did original, you notice one other thing? You can you can say Shua anything, and they're like, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just put Shua, yeah, Shua, yeah, slash Shua, anything, any variant, yeah, right on. But you say Yahusha, that's not in the Tanakh. Yeah, give me yeah, a break. Right. right, right. But it is in the Tanakh. And and it and is, people, oh yeah. And you know, and, and you so know where this, Yeshua's found. You know where Yeshua's found. Is when David was crying out, and or, no, the, the people cried out, Yeshua, and 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 Yahuwah did not hear them. That's the only place Yeshua is used in the Old Testament. They're going to use that as the Messiah's name. That's pretty pathetic. Yeah, I, well, I, well, I'm telling you, it's you know, it's just it's one of these things that when you see the line pen of the scribes, when you talk about the line pen of the scribes, and we'll go into, I'm, I can go into more detail than just the name, but yeah, the whole idea of Yehovah you know, is absolutely so patently outrageous. It is so outrageous because when you look at the situation, I mean, here, let me, let me share that with you again. And oh, I'll show can you. I add one other little thing? The concordance sure. keeps changing too, because now uh, I think it's, well, whatever Hova was before, or Hua, whatever Hua was before now says Hova, and they've made it, they've reversed the meaning they keep playing with the meaning on that and the spelling. Yeah, well, you know, you can change up. This is the beauty of Strong's Concordance. You can change up Strong's Concordance without committing blasphemy, right? You can alter it. You can hide things. You can change things. You can do all kinds of stuff. So here you see what Strong's is trying to tell us about Yahweh. Oh, this is Yehovah. Okay, now look what they've done. I want you to look. First of all, I think it's a sin. It is absolute blasphemy to put any vowel sounds on this name. Put any anecdote on here at all. You shouldn't be doing it at all. Yod hate vav. So what's the first thing they do? They put a shva right here. That converts, that destroys this name here, Yah and converts that into a prefix, yeh. So the yeh has very little to do with the hova. So primarily, this is about hova, not about yah. It's about hova. Like they destroyed. Yeah, well, it would actually be, it would actually be more like I am destruction. Yeah. Because of this, because of this. With the prefix, it would be they destroyed. Yeah. You have this ridiculous prefix here. So when you look at this prefix, this whole idea on this prefix, when we talk about this kind of an idea of this kind of pronunciation, first of all, when, when you go and you look at, hold on just one second. Hey, Dr. P. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Nehemi Gordon's been going on for several years now about it the, the true name being Yehovah. And this guy grew up Hebrew. I mean learning Hebrew and everything else. So um is he just blind to it or or is it um you know why is it, why do you think he is so stuck on that name other than the fact that he thinks the Masoretes were right? Well first of all he calls himself a Masoret. 
you know, the name, the modern name for Masorite, the modern name for Masorite is Kerberite. Uh -huh. He calls himself a Masorite. So is it a shock to you that a Masorite would defend the Masoretic position? Well, I didn't know that about him. I knew he was a Karite, but I didn't realize that Karite is the modern day Masorite. Um, yeah, Karite's just another name for Masorite. So it's so it's it shocks you that a Masorite would defend the Masoretic position. And if the Masoretic position is correct, then what does he have to say about the ineffable name doctrine that says if you utter the name, you're to be put to death? And yet he utters the name Yehovah all day long. Why? It's, it's as simple as looking up the age of the letter V. Boom. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about this letter V, I mean, look, when you talk about this, look at this. If you look at the word Torah, okay? Let's put Torah down here for a minute. Yeah, I got questions about there being two letters that that bear the V sound, and I just don't believe y'all did that. I mean, I think bait is bait, and... and and why is why? But yeah, look at this. So here you are. Here's Torah. Is that pronounced Tebara? Here, let's come on. Let's put some vowel sounds on it. So we'll just put this in here, right? We'll put the vowel sounds on here. That's clearly pronounced Tebara. Anybody would know that. It's not Torah, it's Tebara. Why? Because we Masorites as of the seventh century, said so. How about the word Yeshua? That proves that the Bob is a you and not a Bob. When they say Yeshua, they kind of defeat their own argument. Yeah. And in fact, what you find is in very few places is this Bob in the middle of a word pronounced B. And usually it has to do with its connection to other vowels that require its distinguishment. Otherwise, it's always pronounced U or O. Do you say shalomava? Yeah, shalom. Do you say shalavam? Do you? Mm -hmm. And when you talk about shalom, let's look at it. Shalom. Shalom. Do you say shalavam? Does anybody say that? Shalom. Everybody says shalavam. They say shalom. They say Torah, they say Shalom. Nobody says Shalabama. But suddenly... Try to say, say Teshuva with two Bs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Another one, right? Another one. So here, when you see this Yahuwah, so it's very important that, number one, who's the last ear witness to the name? For the Masorites. Who's the last ear witness? Anybody know? Joseph. It was Josephus. Ken. Josephus was there when he watched the temple be destroyed. He was the last ear witness to the name. And Josephus says, oh, yeah, the priest used to wear an ephod, and the ephod had the tetragrammaton on it, and which they pronounced as four vowels. <laughs> you see four vowels in yeah, No, it's three. But here you can see very clearly that you have E, A, U, A. Now here's another one. Oh, it's Yahweh. Really? How is it that this 
het is pronounced ah, but this one's pronounced a. How'd that happen? Whose exegesis is that that allows one to be pronounced ah and the other a? Anybody know? It's nobody's exegesis. It was some Roman guy that invented it in the 60s. I think it was Jupiter. Oh, was it Jupiter? <laughs> yeah, Jupiter. Uh, no, Yahweh is actually the, uh, a way of the pagans pronounced uh, Jupiter, apparently. That's what I read. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. That's what the way the Romans used to pronounce Jupiter. That's correct. Well, when you see this... In Yeshua, is this Aramaic for salvation? Yeah, it's it's, but it's a feminine verb. It's not a noun, right? So let me ask. So here, if you're Miriam, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. If you're Miriam, Gabriel comes to you and tells you, "Hey, you know what? You should name your son. What's that? Esau." Anybody believe that? You should name your son Esau. Okay, you should name. You should give your son the name of a verb. Not the name of the Messiah who led the house of Israel over the Jordan into the Holy Land. Don't name him after that guy. Name him after Esau. So when you see the Yahweh, look, e a u a, but there's no hyphen in between. Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Four vowels. Is Usha? Is Usha uh, Hebrew for salvation? Is Yeshua Hebrew for salvation? No, no, no. Is Usha? You said that Joseph. Yes, is Usha is no. Actually, Usha. Usha is a name for deliverer, redeemer. Usha. Hosea in the Greek. Hosea in the Greek is Usha in the Hebrew, and it means deliverer or redeemer. And then when you see Yah Usha. He's Yah's deliverer, Yah's redeemer. He's Yah delivering, Yah being the redeemer. It's right. so much different than just the salvation that is found in the, in the verb yesh, Yeshua. You see? And so this and is why... Based on Yahshua, the master. Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, I know we kind of lost me here. Me, me has retreated in, into uh, Helsinki here in, in, the, in the deep the deep bowels of Helsinki. <laughs> yeah, oh, here. I'm still here. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, Go on. Uh, okay, but but the point I'm making when you talk about the, when you talk about the false pen of the scribes, we're just talking about the way they've tried to obfuscate the name. They've done everything they can to hide the name, everything they possibly can to hide the name, everything they can, and they're not succeeding because Yah wants it revealed, and it's going to be revealed. That's the end of story. Now, in addition to that, there's been other changes made. They put Ezekiel out of order. They put Daniel out of order. They put some of the Torah out of order. They've deleted names. They've changed names. They have changed the story. There's 3,000 differences between the Samaritan Pentateuch and the Masoretic Pentateuch. 3,000 differences. And there's even more if you compare it to the Septuagint. There's just massive differences. And so, and, and we haven't talked about the lion pen of the scribes in what they did to the Apocrypha, and what they did to the New Testament. Somebody went through the New Testament with an eraser. Uh, no, that name isn't going to surface. Uh, no, that name isn't going to surface. Scratch that out. Give that a Latin. Like, let me give you an example. 
Esaias? Esaias? Elias? How is it that we have Isaiah in the Old Testament, but Esaias in the New Testament? How is it we have a, a, uh, uh, that we have, um, and then you know what the you know what, it, what the King James calls uh, Elijah in the New Testament at one point, Elizeus. Wow. And then somebody decides to add the word Easter, but I'll tell you where I found when you want to talk about the most blatant lie, it's when it comes to two words that are found in the New Testament, Mia Sabaton. Mia Sabaton changed seven times to the first day of the week. 82 times it appears as Sabbath. But when they wanted to enforce Sunday, they changed it to first day of the week, not the first Sabbath of the year. Had they missed the uh, genealogy in Luke then it included Canaan, which was uh, excluded in the Old Testament. Yeah, how'd that happen? Somebody got one through. I mean, there's lots of stuff in the New Testament that didn't get redacted. Like when Jude tells us that uh, Satan warred over the body of Moshe. Where did he get that from? What text was he quoted? When Paul tells us that Moses withstood Janus and Jambres, where did he get that? You, was it Yashar? Yeah. So anyway, okay, Mia, we'll come back to this more because when we talk about the lion pen of the scribes, you're going to see that there's been a lot of redacting. There's been a lot of addition. There's been a lot of stuff that's been manipulated by men. And when we look to this, we say, well, how can we know what the truth is? How can we know what the truth is? Well, we look to the best we can. And then as we, as we look at additional text, we see that which is corroborated by the testimony of two or more witnesses. That which is corroborated by the testimony of two or more witnesses. Okay? Yeah. May I say something, Stephen? Oops. Okay. Never mind. Hold on. Miz was going to say something, David. Go okay. ahead. Just wanted to give y'all the glory that he has been so merciful to me that even though I have only known the, the name of Jesus, he has answered me when I have called him by that name. Amen. So I want, yeah, I want to give glory to him for that as well. Yeah. Amen. He has worked. Mm. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's an important part because before we know the name, we know what we, what the world has told us. And the, the difficulty is that the world, as much as it lies, it has to maintain as much truth as they have to in order to have any credibility. If it was a hundred percent a lie, nobody would believe them at all. So they had to let the truth through. See, and this was the hand of Yah working too. Yah wouldn't allow them to make the changes that he wanted to retain. So, and if you recall, Mashiach said, it's okay to blaspheme the sun. Blaspheme the Ruach HaKodesh, different matter. Blaspheming the sun, it's okay. You will be forgiven if you do not know the name. So it's, you know, Yah shows himself the way he needed to show himself to us when he showed himself to us. And so this is the way to so do not take away from do not distract from that. It is what it is, and he has blessed you in that respect. But as you climb the mountain and you begin to see more and more clearly, you see why the name is what it was. I came in the name of the Father, and you did not know me. 
Another will come in his own name, Martin Luther, John Wesley, John Calvin, King James, and him you will follow. But I came in the name of the Father and you did not know me. Well, how would you know if you came in the name of the Father if you don't know the name of the Father? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, Hallelujah. thanks, Mia. Thank you, thank you. Blessings, um, okay, blessings. Let's, go to let's, let's go to Johnny. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Hi. Wow. All right. It's good stuff today and every day. And, and first of all, thank you for those who answered my prayer request. I really appreciate that. Um, I have two questions from the Torah portion. Uh, and I don't know if we have time for two, but um, it, the first one is you already mentioned usurper Pharaoh. And, and that's something that's been on my mind. If the death of the firstborn didn't take Pharaoh, then who, who was he? <laughs> he wasn't the firstborn. Boom. Boom. Very good point, Johnny. He had no right to the throne. He was not primogenitor. He was something else. Very good point. And then was he lost in the Red Sea at the, at the crossing? Yes. Hmm. Was he? Or did he witness it? According did to Caesar DeMille, he did not. He did not. Well, yeah. So some researchers say that there's there's a boy king, and I can't remember his name. But, okay, and so he was found with so many riches that he would not have normally earned in his lifetime. And, and the thought was, you know, maybe he was like rushed into that position after the crossing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that, that I can't speak to. Okay. I can't speak to. Okay. And we'll break out some other Egyptian experts le late, later and give you the answer to that. Okay. So so do we really know who this pharaoh was other than that he was just a usurper? We do, we do know who this pharaoh was. It was the beginning of a usurper line. In fact, all of the pharaohs after this after this fellow were usurpers uh, in, in, in Egypt. And the, the actual bloodline of Hashifed had come to an end. It came to an end with Moshe. And that's mm -hmm. why Moshe appeared to Pharaoh as an Elohim to him, because he was in the bloodline. And so this is why Pharaoh was so afraid of him. And these things really kind of competed one to the other, if you will, with each other. And so, and of course, after this, um, you know, Egypt was spoiled. Egypt was ruined. Egypt was wrecked. Okay. And then my other question had to do with how did they determine what was a, what was a perfect lamb? I mean, you know, lambs are born perfectly healthy and acceptable with black faces or spots. Or my mother used to raise little colored babies, so she'd have gray wool and brown wool, and and then the baby goats are are two tone. So, other than being perfectly healthy, was there something that marked them as acceptable? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, a lamb without spot was that racial purity. I don't know. I mean, you know. I mean, you're right about that. And were they only raising white sheep, according to uh, you know when Yitzchak, or excuse me, when Yaakov left from Laban, he had marked sheep. He had multicolored sheep. Recall. So mm -hmm. it had to be something else, some some other problem. A lamb with a bad leg, or a lamb with this, or a lamb with that, something like that, that would keep them from being able to sacrifice the lamb. But otherwise, the, the common land would be without spot. Okay. 
so it's not really specified any more than that, that it, except it had to be perfectly healthy and, and you know, it had to be without, without spot or blemish, whatever mm -hmm. that means. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Right, thank I'm going to go to Catherine. Thank you. Blessings. Shabbat Shalom. Catherine, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Yes. No, I've got an unusual question. Um, Torah related, but not Moshe related. Um, I was wondering, you know, it says about the signs in the heavens, the stars, the sun and the moon. Revelation 12. Yeah. I'm going back to is um I'm going oh sorry I'm not feeling too good. Um uh, um Isaiah Jonathan please don't use that language. Isaiah is is 46 5 and 59 19. Jonathan. Okay, what are you saying about these? Well, basically, I read an article about the core of the earth. It is now stopped and it's going to reverse. I heard a prophecy when I was 18, I just turned 18, that the sun was going to rise in the west. Can you look at Isaiah 46, 5 for me and 59, 19 and try and explain those in depth to me? Let me look. Hold on just a minute. I want to look at 59, 19. So shall they fear the name of Yahweh from the west, his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Ruach Yahweh shall lift up a standard against him. Yeah. Well, Catherine, I would, but actually, that's kind of off topic for the day. Okay. And, and all I can tell you is, is that, um, yeah, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Ruach Yahweh shall lift up a standard against him. Well, we shall see, and I'm I'm not quite sure where this where this I I I need I'd have to look at this. Catherine, and pray about this actually before I go shooting off my mouth about it. No, and that's okay. And then the other one is 46 5. Yeah. I'd appreciate 46. feedback. 46 5. To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? Um, let's see. Baal bows down, Nabu stoops, their idols were upon the beasts and their cattle and your carriages were heavy laden. They stoop and bow down together, but they could not deliver the burden. Yeah. And so, you know, are you going to liken Yah to Baal or Nebu? No, you're not. Right. I might have written these down incorrectly because I'm a dyslexia. I'm going to have to go back. Okay. All right. Well, let's get those squared I'm, away. I'm, and then, I'm really and send, sorry. Send, send, me, send me a private message on those, Catherine, so I can pray about them. Okay, so I'll be, yeah, I'll be no, and then I just wanted to give a couple of people thanks before I leave. 
I'm not sure if Carlos is on, but if anybody who knows Carlos, I'd like to thank Samantha very much. I had a word and I, I had a word and I put it on our ark from the Lord. It's a couple of things up. But Samantha was able to confirm what I saw on Moshe's staff. I had a vision oh, yeah. and a word. And I'd, I'd like to give Samantha thanks. And then I'd also like to give Sherry thanks. We were in very deep prayer. I don't know for how long, for a lady in Australia. Well, the prayers were answered within 24 hours. All right, well, that's a good word. Okay, Catherine. Well, thank you very much. Oh, like I say, text me privately, okay? So I can look yeah. at, those, at those verses when you get them squared away. And then we'll, okay. we'll present something on. Okay? All right, then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bless, Shalom, bless brothers you. and sisters. Shalom, Dr. P. Okay, Violetta, are you there? Yes, I am. Shalom to everyone. Hello, um, Violetta. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you guys? <laughs> very good. Very good. I want to say something about what you mentioned when you speak today about Yahweh's, how we are under his wings, and what was my thinking about the Torah portion. Because when you look a little higher than only that portion to which we reading today you can see that Joseph actually he was born to be the leader and this is why uh, make the Judah jealousy correct so on the end Joseph become leader much bigger country than only uh, promised land and uh, but he has to go through the uh, school of repent, be in jail, become uh, very uh, educated by the Yah. The same happened when I look at the Judah who went down, like I said last time, it means he has to repent too by the situation with Tamar and come back. And then he took responsibility to bring whole family to the, uh, under the, um, uh, Joseph Wings, who become their leader anyway. So what I'm saying, if you see that picture, that when we are born for center situation, even our family, no family, I say about the enemy will work against us very much. We will um, make the destination, and but through your school which is not easy, right? <laughs> I don't know if you see that picture. No, no, I know what you're saying. And you know, when you look at Genesis 49, yes. the prophecy 23. over Judah is that Judah would have a scepter in his hand and a lawgiver between his feet. And yeah. so, yes, and that he would rule over his brethren. And so it's very important that you see that the birthright is in the hand of Yosef, but the scepter is in the hand of Yehuda or Judah. And we see the scepter, the spiritual scepter, comes into the hand of 
the Messiah, the Mashiach. Why? Because he is of the house of Judah through Perez, very clearly delineated in Matthew 1, very clearly delineated that he, and, and then he even tells the Samaritan woman, I tell you the truth, ye know not what ye worship, but salvation is of the Yahudim. It's a, this is a very important thing because it doesn't come through the Levite priest. It doesn't come through the tribe of Benjamin in Shaul, the first king. And it doesn't come through Joseph in, in the hands of Manasseh or Ephraim. Instead, the, the Mashiach comes through the Yahudim. Salvation is of the Yahudim. That the scepter would be in the hands of the Yahudim. It would be in and the lawgiver between his feet. This is Mashiach. And even on earth, while, while we await the kingdom of Mashiach's return, the throne of David, a continuous throne, is also in the line of Yehuda. I mean, that's what you see. That's what Matthew 1 is all about. And so the question is, is there still a line of David that is uh, capable of leading? That's a big question. And if so, where are they? And what do they know? So, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Violetta. It's a very important point. Of course, the question is, who is this line of Yehuda? And whatever you do, don't talk to the black Hebrew Israelites, because they'll, they'll just smash you in the face with telling you that they are. Period. End of discussion. And I'm, I'm actually talking about us. Because every of us was born for some some uh, destination. And we are very upset about what happened in our life, like, like why happened it like that or something. But under the Yahweh's, we will achieve the destination. Because like I say, if let's say Judah will not kick out the um, Joseph from the family, Joseph would be the leader of the family because he was born for it. But because what happened between the brothers, he become of the leader of much bigger uh, country. This is what I'm saying, that we supposed to be very happy that we have so much good wings uh, over us because we will have a destination which we were born for it. This is what I'm saying, Dr. P. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good word, Violetta. I think that all of these things, Yah's wings will be over us, and they are over us even now. And it, what he has planned for us are wondrous things. He has blessing and plan for us and not cursing. And the curses have come upon those who have rejected him. I mean, it's a natural thing. You know, it's like yeah. if you own a car and you reject the, uh, the idea of motor oil, a curse <laughs> is going to come upon your engine. Okay, I mean, that's what's going to happen. Okay, I have a, a, a real question now. Gal Galatians 3.17, when uh, the Paul told about the law, and I really don't understand that passage because he said that this is 430 years later. What he's talking about, about Egypt, um, salvation, uh, Egypt, be in Egypt, or what he's talking about? No, he's talking about the sojourning, and the sojourning includes the time in Egypt 
But what okay. I was mentioning before is that to carefully calculate that date in accordance with scripture, you'll find that it goes all the way back to Abraham leaving Haran at the instruction of Yah, who said, you will be a stranger in a strange land and go ye yep. to the land of Canaan. That's when you begin that count. And if you add it up with the dates you find in scripture, you'll find that it does come to 430 years. Wow. This is the, exactly the same um, amount of that time when they were under the Egyptian rules. Yeah, they weren't there. They weren't in Egypt for 430 years. It is the whole sojourning of Abraham, from Abraham leaving Haran to the house of Israel coming back into the Holy Land. It's that whole period. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, Violeta. So with that, we're going to wrap up our Shabbat meeting for the day. I want to thank you, brothers and sisters. It has been just great joy to be here today. Let's pray before we go. And I'm going to wish you Shabbat Shalom. Dr. P. Yes. Uh, could we pay for Catherine, please? And myself and uh, others that are not feeling well. Yes, of course. Thank Reina, you. You're going to be healed in the name of Yah. Praise Yah. This ya. is going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay, Thank let's you. pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers. Listen to our petition, Father, today. As your name is glorified within us, may your name be glorified in us and over us and upon us. May your name be lifted up where we are. May you claim the land underneath this as your dominion. May your grace be upon us, your mercy be upon us. May your eyes be upon us. Guide us, keep us, direct us, hold us, carry us, cover us. Father, we pray for the healing among the brothers and sisters here today, particularly for Raina and for Catherine, that you would restore their health in a miraculous way. Give those who are tired sleep. Give those who are hungry food. Give those who are poor enough provision to, to go forward, Father, for another day. May you bless this fellowship and keep us in your name. And that we continue to say, you are Elohim and we are your children. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, we will see you next Shabbat. Until then, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Bye -bye. See you next week. See you.